From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, a show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 74 and we're talking about the science fiction film Battle Beyond the Stars. It came out in 1980. It's a long time ago now. In this episode, we will reveal what we thought about Battle Beyond the Stars, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. Uh, Battle Beyond the Stars was directed by Jimmy T. Makarama. Murakami. Murakami. (laughs) Although Roger Corman has his grubby little mitts all over this film, and I'll come back and talk about Roger Corman a bit later. John Sayles. We're back to another John Sayles film, which is exciting. Our third one, I think. Our third one, yeah. So we've looked at Alligator and we've looked at um, Brother from Another Planet and definitely you can feel his humour and unusualness in this script, I think. So we'll come to that later. Uh, He also created the story, but a lady called Anne Dyer was also part of that. Yeah, so turn back now. Before going on, watch this film and then tune back in because this is your spoiler warning. Warning, warning, warning. Warning. And if you do fly a tiny little spaceship in space, be careful that no one will take you seriously. Sorry. No one will. No matter how pretty you are (laughs) or what kind of costumes you wear. Uh, So this film is basically a Star Wars kind of ripoff, isn't it? Is that the synopsis? I mean, it's basically <laughs> this. This came out just after Star Wars. Oh, the success of Star Wars. Within yeah. a year or two of Star Wars, yeah. there was a, a great rush to you know capitalize the on the final this. frontier. Get the movies in space. It it's, worked. Well, it was the people space, the space <laughs> opera thing. So Star Wars itself was not put forward. It, it wasn't going to. It wasn't considered that it was going to be that big no. of a success. It was no. supposed to. Be, it was just going to be a bit of a. A blip. Uh, a hammed up schlock movie. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah. But it turns out everyone really loved it. Yep. And I mean, it's a really well made film. Yeah. It's fantastic. And then just jumping on that, suddenly the, the, the studios went, you know what? People like this. Yeah. Quickly. Quick. Give me a script. Make more. <laughs> and so there was, I think there's one called Star Crash. Yeah, there is. Which isn't there, it yeah. had like this, there's a big bad guy spaceship that looked like a fist, mm. which would clench when it yep. goes to battle yeah. formation or something. Like that. <laughs> That's At that one, there was also a little bit. Uh, I suppose you just say gory and that I remember watching Star Crash and there was um, the lasers would blast people on the chest and they'd get this massive burnt out hole in yeah, their corpse. Yeah, that's right. And they'd oh, fall yeah, down. I've forgotten about that. That was, that was a pretty good one. But this yeah. one, Battle Beyond the Stars, was known because it's a Seven Samurai, um, the Magnificent Seven. It's a Space Western. It's all of these sort of things that, it, it follows a bit of the hero's journey, much like Star yeah. Wars. So it's kind of one of the most Star Warsy yeah. Star Wars follow-ups. And and realistically, Corman as well, uh, Roger Corman. I mean, he's produced something like five hundred films that are 
not like Star Wars, but they are basically kind of, and I don't want to say ripoffs, but they're like, because they're not ripoffs and they're not homages. They're they're sort of like, oh, this sort of works. Let's just make it a Western. Oh, this is a Western that works. Let's make it a science fiction. So Roger Corman has made a whole bunch of those kind of films where, you know, that you, you break it off. I don't think he made Sharknado, but that's probably a really great example of, you know, like, oh, let's take a thing like scary sharks and then put them with tornadoes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as a producer, he is hugely prolific. If you go to his IMDb, it's I think it is something like he's produced 500 films, directed about 50, um, still producing today. So it's been a while since he's directed something, but... Um, he is a massive producer. So Battle Beyond the Stars is basically follows a young farmer who sets out to recruit mercenaries to defend his peaceful planet, which is under the threat of invasion by the evil tyrant Sador and his armada of aggressors. Uh, it's a pretty simple setup, isn't it, Surrey, where we have, you know, this invading force, you know, that is more powerful than the planet that we find our main character on um and they are the complete sort of underdog so it's a it's an underdog sort of story and he has to round up mercenaries out there in space to help fight this sador so it's a pretty simple setup um the fun and games is going to be explained pretty self-explanatory as in like he's just rounding up those mercenaries and then are they going to be able to battle sador you know so Independence Day could even be like a little bit like this. You know, it's like an invading force that is way more powerful than, you know, us humans. And they demonstrate their power with an almighty weapon (laughs) like they do in Independence Day. In In this one, what is it called? The Stellar Converter. Stellar Converter. And so it's like, oh, we're helpless against this massive powerful being and uh so so they need to go and sort of round up the troops so to speak which is what they do in independence day so same sort of thing like round up the oh, who's same the best of, you know will smith where are you at and, um, you have, <laughs> randy you, quaid the alcoholic but he's a really good fighter pilot you know like so you just kind of round up the troops the it's the underdog story this again and you know, as humans we love that underdog story don't we you know and that, and that was that. star wars as well the death yeah. star oh that's had- right how can you the death blow star upper, <laughs> lower upper yes yeah and he does i like i loved at the start of this film uh how when he does come um Sado, it's like you know he, he just he announces himself doesn't he on that massive hologram face yes. or whatever and the people are like oh and he's like i will annihilate you with my stellar converter and it's like okay so the premise is set up it's really simple He's got a better... And then he just, like, goes, fire on them at will. <laughs> and he starts... You know, he just kills a few random people. Always feel for those people. You know, it goes to that Austin Powers joke, doesn't it? But he kills a few random people, and then it's like, oh, uh, that was just a show. You know, <laughs> I'll be back to do the real thing. I do always wonder why they leave and then come back. Like, you think the surprise, you would just invade? Because, yeah, I mean, not, here on I'm Earth... I'm not sure what you're giving them time for. No, like... Consider what, your options. Yeah, and also, I know this is a big decision, <laughs> death or you know capitulation. But yeah, uh, so I, I do want to give you a bit of time to consider your options. Yeah, yeah, you know, you have nothing for me. I'm just going to annihilate you. But I'll come back and do that on. Check the diary, secretary. Sunday we're available. Okay, we're coming back on Sunday. Okay, well, he yeah, did watch seem out. to have a bit of a full schedule. Yeah, because he did. Shortly after this, you see him 
is turning up to do the stealth convert another plant. So he must stagger them. He yeah. he turns up to one, offers <laughs> yeah. the ultimatum. Yeah. And the next one, and then after a few days, he's back to the first one again yeah. to follow through. Yes. And tidy up, you know. And I guess the justification, maybe it's a little bit like a bully, isn't it? Like like you don't. The fun is the teasing of it a bit, maybe. You know, he's he's so powerful with his stellar converter that what's the point? If you just rocked up and blew stuff up, you're not kind of teasing out the fun of it, are you? You want to like. Threaten them. Oh, yeah, we'll come back in a week. See how you've gone over that week. Have you got anything for me to like stand up to me? You know, I don't know. Maybe, so, maybe it anyway. is kind of a thing of um, <laughs> like there's a chance that I am merciful. You know, here's, here's a bit of time. You can talk your way no. through it. Because if it's just like surrender now, they would say, okay. Yeah. But then that immediately start. Yeah, maybe come up with plans. Perhaps there's a bit of a psychology working yeah, out. Maybe. That you say, maybe. I will be back in a week's time for your decision and people. Mm have that week to stew and debate and then they feel as if they have made this decision and a commitment yeah, I, don't fair know, enough. I, I personally didn't look into the psychology of that <laughs> i know it just makes well, me maybe I it should. does make me think because and we've seen it in many other films as i said like even independence day could be a very similar style like very similar structure to that narrative so what was your number one takeaway from battle beyond the stars number one takeaway is that in the future you can have a bar on a belt mm, and you I can like. also have dial a drug, <laughs> yeah. which is great. I, I yeah. love these, uh, these little sci-fi futuristic views. Into- I, lo- I liked how he did the dial a drug and he actually got some pills out <laughs> and he kind of put it to his to take the pill. <laughs> and I mean, this machine is covered in spider webs and, <laughs> and stuff. He and he's like, but I loved how he like thought about it. That was really cool. He didn't even know what the drug was. No, I know. Just, just, just take it. <laughs> just picks it up, goes to put it in his mouth. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe not. Yeah. But no, I really loved uh, Hannibal's because, sorry, like I was watching the, the movie and the cowboy, space cowboy turned mm. up and I'm going, geez, I recognize him. Looked him up. Yeah, A-team. Yeah. Uh, but he, he has his little belt yes. with scotch, soda. And clink, ice. Ice. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that was just a, a lovely little um, uh, alcoholic's dream, I suppose yes. it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, very, um, you know, fitting into the West, how can we make... The cowboy just drink all the time like they do in westerns. Well, he's got it around his belt, you know. Yeah. So, so that, I'm, that's that's my number. The future is looking bright for people who like a bit of scotch and <laughs> soda. Still to be invented. The belt, the scotch belt. <laughs> it, it wasn't indicated how it worked. Like if it was just no. a, a like a, a creator on the spot, like a Star Trek, um, you know, energy to matter converter, mm. or if it was just simply a somehow. A storage device. A little, device, a little yeah. storage device. You had like yeah. two ice cubes, uh, <laughs> you know, one dose of scotch yeah. and one dose of thing. And he had to well, no, he had it, more but... scotch, didn't he? Because he had some later again. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I got the feeling it was meant to be like a synthesizer. Yeah, I it think created so. the scotch yeah. at the time. Ooh, maybe you're going to delve in and explain the science of that later oh, in the yeah. episode. Well, Stay tuned. If exciting I could explain stuff. the science of that, I'll, <laughs> I'd be patenting it. Yeah. And... Trademark it. I wouldn't be doing space friends anymore. I'd be, you know, driving my stellar converter around threatening planets. <laughs> that's right. Perhaps that's what this guy did. Yeah. He, he invented the, uh, the next big social media software. And then, um, you know, at some point they said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to break up that monopoly. And he said, I will not break up my monopoly. I have a stellar converter. That's right. <laughs> oh, okay. Exactly. As long as you're not selling our that- you know, details... No, all your details are my details. <laughs> That's right. 
we're now just going to put it out to the metaverse. But the question then is, is this a movie of hope, warning, or an experiment? I think it's just hope because it plays off that idea of the underdog basically winning. So we have a planet that is supposedly uh, peaceful people where where, um, Shard, the farmer, comes from. And, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. That invading force, you know, it, it overpowers it, you know. So, it's, it's, it's to me, the underdog story is always hopeful because it's like the little guy beating the big bully, so to speak. So, I see it as hope. Yeah, what's their uh, – they've got their, their philosophy, the Valdar or something. Yeah. They're, Jesus, just, I've, got that, I've got my little note here. I'm just trying to spot it. Well, which bit of their philosophy? The they don't believe oh, in what fighting. It, what it's what it's called? It's called the. Um, oh, they keep saying here in Akira Vada. That's Vada, it. that's it. The yeah, Vada, Vada which, that's it. Which sort of it sounds, it sounds a bit um, Hindu Buddhist. Yes, you know. Um, I mean, even Vada itself has a somewhat Hindu sound to it. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, same as Darth Vader, I guess. But. I guess, I mean, again, we're going deep, aren't we? I, I did think when I was watching this, it's like, so you have a peaceful planet. They don't believe in violence. Fine. Like, we can imagine that. I mean, as humans, maybe not, but we can we can imagine that. Evolutionary, get to a point where it's like, okay, we don't need, we don't believe in violence. But then it would be, if you were evolved to that point, you probably have had some sort of violence at some point. So how have they dealt with violence? Well, they you know? did. The, the old Corsair, the blind dude, yeah. Nell's uh, first master, as it were, yep. he was a warrior. I mean, his walking stick was a weapon. Yes. A yeah. little like a spiky st- um, mace head on the end of it. So, so then, but so then probably that just a generation earlier, they yeah, were quite they were, Yeah, yeah, and I get that. Like you kind of go, well, violence never solves it. You know, if we as humans finally went, violence never solves anything, we do that. But then it's like, what would happen? Wouldn't they then invent a protective shield, for example? So it's like if an invading force comes, it's like, no, we're fine behind the shield. We don't attack anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But that's just it. That's getting deep. <laughs> um what was your first impression? My first impression. Uh, my first impression, it felt a lot like Star Trek. Mm. Like the set design and the direction yep. of it had a very Star Trek sort of feel. Mm. So it's like someone said, oh, Star Wars is really big. Yep. Let's make a Star Warsy movie. But the director was just a Star Trek fan. Like he went, oh, mm. I've got to make a space film. Uh, I've watched Star Trek episodes, yeah, yeah. and so it has a it, it has that feeling, the same sort of direction and shots as Star Trek, as opposed to and this is one of the things that Star Wars really innovated, I suppose, was that the Star Wars film style, the direction and so forth, was itself more epic and grand, mm. whereas Battle Beyond the Stars is more more Western, more Star Trek, more. Yeah small scale feeling even yeah, though it was yeah. dealing with large scale topics yeah the way the camera moved and so forth it was it tended to be set camera angles you know close-ups medium shots you know it, it, there was yeah. no sort of sweeping or moving or or uh what do you call it like a grand establishing shots of you know an enormous desert with mm. a small base at the end or a, or a spaceship flying and, past and, and i think you're right there that that's the success of star wars is that 
you feel like you're in this universe. Mm. And I think that's what's the legacy of Star Wars and why today fans are calling out for like, you know, these the Mandalorian and the Boba was it Boba Fett? Book. Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, you know, like people want more story the Stormtrooper saga and stuff like people want to know these are because in the even in that original film, which wasn't made for a massive budget, and no one, everyone had written it off, and no one knew who George Lucas was, and all this kind of stuff, they didn't want to support Star Wars. It's like he built, even with such a minor budget of of the original Star Wars, he built a world, didn't he? he built not just a world, he built a universe. So it felt like there was these other things. So yes, in this film, Shard goes off. Is it Shard or Shad? Shad. Shad. Shad goes off the farmer and he does visit these other places in the world and, and we see, um, you know, the bad guy go off and annihilate another planet and, and we're told he's also annihilated other planets before, but it didn't feel, it, it almost felt like we could have just been in one solar system. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we didn't didn't really feel like there was stuff beyond where we were and I guess, I guess that's what Star Wars did really well is it? You know, by going to these other places and these other sets that they decided to do uh, and the way the story played out in Star Wars, it really did feel like these other backstories were real and they lived these other on these other planets and these other well, worlds. Well, they continually and- made reference to, you know, the, he was a general in the Clone Wars. Yeah, like that yeah. was a, a yeah. throwaway line in, in that first movie. And at that time, George Lucas didn't really fully know what the Clone Wars was. Yeah. Like... Yeah, you know, he he claims he fully knew everything, but you can tell it would have just been, uh, you know, there was the Clone Wars. It's a science fictiony sounding sort of thing yeah. that he would have been involved in, and it probably had to do with the rise of the Empire and stuff like. There'd yeah. be some basics there, but but that throwaway line it it gives you that holy crap! Like, yeah, so that, he was a general in the the thing. What's it? Oh, the something rather in the Alderaan system. You go, oh, there's all these systems yeah. around the place. And well, it gives it context, doesn't it? It's like, oh, he's a general, but he's a battle-worn general. At some point previously, mm. he fought in these huge wars, you know? Like, you don't even have to tell us as an audience what that... It's like saying, oh, this general fought in World War Two, you know? And you're like, oh, fought in Vietnam or whatever. Like, uh, you know, these human wars, we can... There's like a reference in your head. You don't need to be told all about it. You've been told two things, clone wars, you know? And he was a general in those wars. So it's like gives him... A, a battle-worn well, feeling, yeah, doesn't a, it? There's a story there. Yeah. Like that yeah. you could imagine, and I I think there is actually an Obi-Wan Kenobi story coming out. I think there is, but yeah, But you yeah. could imagine that just from hearing that one sentence, mm. you go, oh, there's like this whole other story yeah, yeah. before this story. Yeah, before this story, yeah. Which so is, it's great. Which is really good there. Yeah. And so so the feeling I got from this one was it was, it was like a, a, a Star Trek. It was more sort of um, you could go episodic on this. Yeah. With it, yeah, it didn't it didn't invite you to immediately imagine the whole universe, mm. but it it brought you right into what was happening here and now. This yep. is the important part. Yep. Because Star Trek was was about uh, it, the backstory was important. You know, yeah, the, yeah. the rise of Darth Vader and the Empire was an important, and the rebellion. All these things were sort of important mm. backstories to have. Yeah, yeah. This one here, it's like okay, here's this, and then you go, you meet the. Hephaestus Station, and you meet there's a Valkyrie warrior cast yeah, yeah. of people somewhere are forms as they call them. But you you got uh, you got the Star Trek sort of feel of you could have more episodes, and each one would do something new and different. Mm. But um, yeah, it was it was quite um, 
nostalgic feeling. Yeah. It did give me that feeling of, I guess, 80s TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something I noticed now with Netflix. I watched, having watched all of the, you know, the Amazon original and Netflix sci-fi and fantasy type stuff, mm. we fired up for the kids a... Uh, it was called like Primeval. Oh yeah, it was a series yeah, like yeah. with dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, it was made pre-Netflix. Yep. So it was before. So it was just an ordinary TV series yeah, type yeah. thing. Yeah. And when you're watching it, you look at it and go, "Oh, this is what science fiction fantasy used to be like mm. on TV." It's, it's very kind of, episodic, in it, isn't it? Like, and it's kind of it doesn't have a cinematic feel to it. Yeah, it, yeah. it just it sort of feels a bit smaller and and limper, and. You know, whereas now the new new shows, you just get that bigger feeling. It's yeah. just, there's more and, budget and effort. And this one here, it has brought me back to what, you know, that's what TV shows and movies were like in the mm. 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, and that's why Star Wars was such a hit because it's so visually different. Yeah. Even though it's, you know, bringing up, it's got the costuming and the hairstyles and the mm. color grading and so forth, similar. Yeah. The camera work and the way it presented the world mm. was so radically different. Yeah. Because Battle Beyond the Sound is what it used to be. Yeah, yeah. That's, you go watch uh, the old Buck Rogers TV series or you go watch, <laughs> you know, Star Trek, the original yeah. series, or you watch... Uh, some of these movies that were filmed at that sort of time. Yeah. And they're all like Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like that's myself. Like I, I did not mention this before in Space Brains. I did a huge analysis of horror when I was at uni. Like I watched something like, I don't know what it was, like 60 horror films in a course of about three weeks for an assignment. And, you know, if you do something like that, you basically see all the tricks of the trade of a genre, but you also – that I was watching a lot of those like 70s, 80s uh, horrors where it is it is a bit like TV shows. And, and I remember at the time they talk about like B-grade movies, you know, and we'd probably say something like Alligator was a bit of a B-grade horror film as well. You know, it's like so – but the reason why we label it like that is, it, is it's a little bit like the story's a little bit simple. It doesn't have that in-depth side of things and it also – the camera work, they didn't quite spend the time and the crafting of it. You know, they just kind of got If you take Star Wars, George Lucas, you know, the whole story of his is like he put out every single storyboard in a old aircraft carrier or something, you know, like he, his story, you know, so every single shot was thought through and meticulously planned, you know, mm. um, and you do, you take a film like this, they probably shot it as quickly as possible, you know, paying people as less as possible. <laughs> and I think that was Corman's kind of belief. And that's where you get that labeling of B grade movies. But I also, but I think when you go back and you look at this film, there's a lot of really good elements about it. Like there really is. And the fact that it is so, simple as a narrative I really like because you buy into it really quickly, you know, and so I really really thought that was great and it made me feel like I laughed at it, I kind of enjoyed – the the science them playing off the science fiction I loved them playing off the westerns the cowboy character he um, referenced <laughs> westerns yes. you know like but we you and I were not really into Firefly and we went and watched it you know as part of the little sci-fi festival and people are really into Firefly and it, even for Space Brains one of the most listened episodes and you know you find that there's that cult following and I think in that you'll find you know Josh Whedon and that like they kind of reference themselves and this film does that it sort of references the western film and and, and it takes the cowboy character was literally called the cowboy the cowboy (laughs) 
<laughs> but it, and he's referencing cowboy moments, you know, like he's not referencing film titles, but he's doing a bit of a like nod to, well, in a Western, this is when we would knuckle down. And even the drinking, you know, you mentioned the drink, you know, later she goes, he, when he realizes he can't leave the planet because he thought he was going to be able to escape, he can't leave the planet. So then he just has a scotch and she goes, oh, you forgot the ice. And he goes, no, I didn't. Like yeah. and it just means like he's he's like oh he realised he's doomed to die you yeah, know and that's a such a cowboy now. thing you yeah. know like it's it's like there's no way out of this bar we're just going to be shooting our way out you know it goes back to the that classic story so um I lo- there was so many elements and we'll get a bit deeper into it in a moment why is this a sci-fi then sorry if, if we're is, saying there's all these nods well this is this is one of those sci-fi movies that could maybe not be a sci-fi but. And I have seen The Magnificent Seven. I haven't seen The Seven Samurai. No. But the thing that this movie does that makes use of the science fiction element with is the stakes. Mm -hmm. Because in The Magnificent Seven, it's a little town terrorized by, you know, some dude who wants to take their land. Yeah. The stakes aren't like great. Let's face it. They could just up and shift. They just don't want to. Mm. You know, like they, they make all sorts of claims about they've worked hard for it and so on. But ultimately, really, they could just leave. Mm. Uh, in this one, however, you've got a planet. Uh, they don't really have any spaceships. Like that Nell is their only spaceship, spaceship. Yeah, they yeah. have. Yep. So they can't evacuate a whole planet on one little spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only that, but this guy has a stellar converter, which we see demonstrated, which is very good because... Uh, Bad writing would say, I've got a stellar oh, here's a, I've got this terrible thing. Destroys planets. And then just trust me on that. Yeah, yeah. Type of thing. And you go, well, I don't. Yeah. But we see him. He converts a planet, presumably, into a star. It's basically yeah. just, it's not even like uh, um, Independence Day where they shoot big lasers and blow off a lot of stuff. Mm. So this is utterly de- annihilating the planet. The planet mm. cannot even be used as a planet anymore. Interesting side note. And, I mean, would the universe change? Yeah. <laughs> Like if you destroyed a whole well, a planet, I would would. say, yeah, solar yeah, system solar would. System yeah. would. Yeah. But the, yeah, so the science fiction element here is, you know, about the stakes. Hmm. Without the science fiction element, you've just come back down to the same sort of thing, which is like, yeah, we kind of want to stay here. We like it here. Hmm. We've worked hard to be here. But really, ultimately, the town in the Magnificent Seven could just up and leave. Oh, like on. really, they could. Well, you just up and leave, sorry. You leave. Yeah. You get out of your house. Go. Yeah, well, you know, if... if <laughs> Let's displace you. If the Russian army were coming, for example, <laughs> yeah. I would seriously consider it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, as as many have. Yeah. Uh, but in if it was more the case of stellar converters coming to destroy the planet Earth, yeah, it's yeah. like, well... There's nowhere to go. Th- we have to win this. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like... Because if we don't win it, he's just going to shoot people. Yeah. Randomly for fun. Mm. It just seems to be what he does. God knows what he's going to do, what his actual goals of owning all these planets is, but it's not going to be good. Mm. You can tell because he's, he's already just shown himself a murderous creep, <laughs> uh, genocidal yep. murderer. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why this is science fiction. Even though you, you know, obviously the Seven Samurai and the Western, the, the, the Magnificent Seven, mm. same story, essentially. But this one here, I think, does really well because the stakes are raised. They've they've used the science fiction element yeah. not just to introduce some you know pure pure laser guns, uh, but to um, enhance the story. Yeah, fair enough. There we go. Good answer. And and speaking of the science fiction stuff, was there any science fiction in this that you particularly liked the idea of? Ooh, I liked. Well, yeah, the the different 
uh, the different mercenaries that he rounds up that are really extraterrestrial to us. So I loved that idea of Nesta. How so? There's a character called Nesta in this, which is actually one creature that's cloned themselves. I think is yeah, the explanation. So, so a hive mind of some uh, sort. Yeah, some yeah. sort of hive mind. And so we come across five Nesta. Or the one nester, but there's five different creatures flying this sort of, you know, uh, spaceship UFO style, and they explain that, and they're and they're so bored because they are the hive mind, the one mind that they're willing to help. <laughs> they're willing to go on this adventure. They're willing like to do the, just about anything yeah, for a bit of excitement. Yeah. So I kind of really liked again that sort of extension of a creature that is very alien to us as humans, because um, it did feel that. You know, Shad and his planet, they're like a peaceful version of maybe humanity. Um, even the Sador, and I mean, he kind of felt human. I don't know what it was. Like he'd, 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 I mean, it didn't give us a lot of backstory, but it was something like he had also genetically mutated his crew crew or something yeah Yeah, because he had a scar and they all then were much more deformed so there was some sort of cloning or genetic modification there so i know they all felt very and we had the cowboy who is obviously an earthling so i just liked the fact that there was these other creatures and then it was the same with uh i did put their names down but how uh Nana, Nana, Nelly, the main female lead, she is abducted by that other alien creature and, and who he has on board, those two little sonic... The heat dudes. <laughs> the heat dudes, yeah. And, um, <laughs> like, again, I, li- I like yes. that idea. I mean, this is what's great. It's very similar to Star Trek, isn't it, and even Star Wars, but probably more on... It's a little bit like you were saying, Star trek that, yeah, these creatures with different, different kind of... Again, they're coming from different planets that have a different evolution. And I think that's really the fun side of sci-fi. And and we've tried to, I've tried to employ that with people coming to our film festival, you know, making their own films. It's like, yeah, you could, you know, this idea of sci-fi, what's great about sci-fi to me, and this film demonstrates is you can sort of, yeah, here's a hive mind. And it's not that they're they're superior maybe but they're not super superior but what they are is they want to go on adventure because these guys are just like they're disposable because <laughs> you're you're implying that they're all thinking the same thing they all pick up the same feelings and meanings and send it back to the home planet so they anyone even on the home planet has this experience that they're going on and i love i loved that idea yeah, yeah that was very cool i i yeah. uh i think that i really liked yeah, in particular here, well, I, it's the scene more so than yeah, science fiction, enough. but the campfire scene. Mm-hmm. It took me just a few moments to figure it out that it was, you know, because you have the cowboy campfire scene. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, all the cowboys are sitting on a campfire, uh, cooking beans, drinking mm. coffee, whatever it is they're doing, and they're doing their sort of little getting to know each other sort yeah. of talk. Yeah. And this had that exact scene, but it was a bit confusing at first. So I was sitting there going, and they're all sort of standing around, and, and those two little uh, weird aliens <laughs> without ears were sitting back to back, yeah. and everyone's standing around them. Yeah. And then I noticed that yeah, uh, Shad was holding out his hands, warming his hands by these guys because <laughs> they talk with heat. Yeah. And there's the cowboys cooking hot dogs. <laughs> so they're the campfire. Yeah, yeah. Those aliens were the campfire. Mm. And so as a sci-fi element scene thing, I really quite liked yeah. the fact that they <laughs> they played off, as you said, that yeah. the whole cowboy campfire scene yeah uh, or it could be that the helicopter scene if you like where yeah. we get to know everyone yep but they made it they leveraged mm. 
these heat guys as the campfire themselves. I think that's very John Sayles as well, isn't it? In his style of writing, now that we've seen those other, like Brother from Another Planet, how those two alien agents walked into the bar and there was obviously like a real race element going on, but because they're from outer space, they didn't quite get the white man, black man, you know, the issues at the time, did they? And they, there, there was that John Sowers writing that you could see there, I think. Yeah. And, um, and it happens a few times in the film as well with the little um, warrior woman. Uh, what's her name? Well, maybe I don't have it down. No, I don't think I do. Um, but, yeah, her, her as well, it's like she's... Oh, so X-Men. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Sybil Danning. Yes. I, um, so State X-Men, she, you know, like when she rocks up, she's faster than Shad, but he like kind of wipes her away, like go away. And <clears throat> I was kind of thinking, dude, you need everyone and anyone <laughs> to yeah. battle for you. Um, why not bring her on? And he's like, oh, she's just got stun weapons. and <laughs> They're not real. They're not going to annihilate anything. Um, and I, I liked that idea, like this this kind of playing off the humour of the moment. And that's definitely John Sayles' writing, eh? Yeah, the other... Uh, and let's stay on this old John Sayles' writing because this is our third one now. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I've noticed is he does pay attention to, um, you know, race and gender dynamics. Here. He does, doesn't he? And yeah. this film here, uh, I immediately the very first John Sayles moment was when there's on Hephaestus Station and... Hephaestus, the, he's just like a head on a robot yeah, or a yeah. computer body thing, says, oh, yes, my daughter will, you know, you should mate with my daughter. And his immediate response, yeah, Shad's immediate response is, well, have you asked her opinion? Like, yeah. I'm not going to be involved in something she's not in, in. Like, straight up, it's just the very first thing is um, consent or, or like, yeah. she's got her own mind. And we're talking 1980 here, but 1980s films is, uh, is quite common I mean, even if you look at the Star Wars poster, mm. Luke Skywalker is standing, heroic pose, Princess Leia draped about him, looking yeah. up lo yeah. you know, longingly into his face. She needs you know? rescuing, right? She's and you look rescuing. at a lot of these films at that time with the same yeah, yeah. thing. The, the uh, Conan the Barbarian, he's sitting there and, you know, to be fair, he's a barbarian, I guess. But, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that was of that time. Yeah. It was really strongly noted that the, you know, women were the arm candy. Yeah. But this here is being a John Sayles film, much like Brother from Another Planet, which sort of paid attention more so to the, the race elements, but there's some gender things going on there. Mm. And in Alligator, again, when you, you know, that cop, yep. the, the relationship between the cop and the biologist mm. woman yeah. was far more egalitarian than when you'd expect. Like yeah. when she says, no, I want to help, and it happens in this as well, he doesn't go, ah, oh, this is men's business yeah, or, yeah. you know, some paraphrasing of that. It's like, are you sure? Yes. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's the same in this, uh, where she says, no, I'm coming with you. And he says, oh, it's going to be dangerous. She says, yes, I'm aware of that. But, you know, what am I going to do? Sit here all day? And yeah. he's like, oh, okay. And I'm not going to stop you. Both, you know. both of them, like, you, you make a really good point. Like an alligator, she's a biologist. So there's the cop sees a lot of, like, it's like, oh, you should be involved in this. Mm. And it's the same here. Like, she... She's the one that says, oh, no, I sort of need to stay for my father. But then she goes, okay, I'd like to – she's obviously an expert in robotics and that kind of – she goes, oh, I'd love to get my hands on that hard drive. And so it's like it gives her a – she's not just arm candy. She actually mm. has 
she might not be a fighter, but she's she's actually like a scientist, for example, a biologist. She's yeah. in this case, she's like a computer robotics engineer or whatever. And so, oh, I'm gonna. She picks up that suitcase thing, you know, like <laughs> laptop, whatever, and she's like, oh, I'll be analyzing this hard drive. So it gives them. It's not just arm arm candy, you know. So, and you're right. The father offers her as basically like, stay here. It'll be lovely. You'll mate with my beautiful princess daughter. Blah blah blah. And he's like, well, no, I don't want to do that. I want to save the planet. She can come and help, but I, you know, I'm not just going to hang out here. You know, like yeah. so. It's not just again, even as a male sort of thing. It's it's giving him. A, a deeper dimension there, isn't it? It's not just like, oh yeah, well, okay, I'll stay stay here and look after myself and you know, bang this beautiful woman. Like, you and, know, and <laughs> speaking of banging, the uh, yeah, Senexim <laughs> and uh, Nanilia, yeah, the, the other woman, the daughter. Nella. I just refer to her as the daughter, the daughter, because uh, sometimes you get these names and you sort of lose track of them. Yeah, but you know, they spoke very openly about they did. sex. They did, and in, yeah. in fact, she was totally forward with Shad. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, you know, hey, Shad, let's have sex. Yeah, yeah. Essentially what she said. And Shad went, oh, is this the right sort of time for that? Yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> like there was, there was no sort of coy, there's no domination, there's no manipulation, no. there's no second guessing. It was, which again, which I think is is that sort of John Sales mm. uh, dialogue and writing and that view on relationships. Yeah. There was... um. And I mean that again. If you say gender dynamics, that's putting the power onto the woman, isn't it? Oh, like it's she, not. It's she not totally like, went. I want to have sex. Let's go do it. Yeah, it's not. And it's not the man like Arnie going, you know, muscling up and sort of pulling them in and saying, and then the woman going, "Oh no, I can't resist." You know, it's yeah. like in this case, she's actually. And you're right with um, saying Exner. She sort of joked about, "Oh, I'd like to do this to that man. I'm a warrior, and yeah. you know, I can teach you some tricks." You know, and and she was also the daughter saying. Well, I've never experienced this. What, what, like, why don't we play with this? Like, why don't we have some fun, have sex? Like, yeah. show me what sex is. So it gave, it's giving her the drive as a female character, but instead of like the male persevering, the damsel yeah. in distress, and there was, there the was, female is actually coming forth and saying, "Hey, let's give this a bang." <laughs> and and again, the the other nice thing was uh, there was no shame in it. Like, yeah, Sen Xman, who was getting about in, you know. Warrior, uh, her clothing gear. was awesome. She was she was fully, you know, latex or spandex. Yeah, I don't know, well, like yeah. as you'd expect a oh, you're fantasy, not into the spandex, so, a yeah, fantasy sorry. Valkyrie <laughs> uh, woman. Yeah, yeah. There was there was no shaming. There was no like, nah. oh, cover yourself up or nah. don't be so forward nah. or <laughs> you know, looking down on her because that she's some sort mm. of um, morally corrupt at all. Yeah, that's right. She was made fun of for being overly enthusiastic about battle. Yes. Because all the other people are like, yeah, this is not a fun and game. No, it's no. like, this, people are going to die and get hurt. And she's mm. like, yes, that's so cool. <laughs> that's and right. you're like, okay, well, yeah. sure. Yeah, but you, and that's a really good point. I mean, her costumes, I've got to give kudos to costume department here, right? Like her costumes are incredible. So, and we might come to that in a minute. Okay, let's just quickly talk about the uh, Space Brain Sci-Fi Film Festival. It's getting closer and closer. Sorry, we're on to our extended deadline. You still have till the 31st of March to make your sci-fi film. We still have people submitting films. We got a, we got an international one the other day, short, oh, we got an international short film the other day and we got an 
international feature film, another Ooh, feature film, another sorry. Feature. So um, they are coming in thick and fast, still getting some good questions through the socials from different people. Uh, we got a, We got a question about that due date of the 31st of March from a local Mandra filmmaker. Um, so, so yeah, so definitely you've still got some time because this is kind of, we're heading, yeah, you've got about a month now, I suppose. Yeah. yeah by the time much. you're listening to this. Um, so that's that. When is the actual festival? Uh, the gala and workshops and everything is May 21. Whereabouts is happening? And that's the Mandra Performing Arts Center. Yes. And it's going to happen all day long. We're going to have some workshops and then it's going to climax with the actual film festival, uh, short film screenings, the best of the best that have been submitted. I think we have 50 submissions now, nice. which is incredible for the first year. Uh, so I'm really excited. Once that submission date goes, we'll be watch- sitting down and watching them and picking the best of the best. So I'm super pumped about that. And, of course, I think some of those winners or even some of those ones that are submit, we have to reach out and see if we can have chats to oh, well, the filmmakers. Like to because so, it's yeah. pretty interesting to find out the, the process of – creating these films, what challenges they had to overcome, what their thinking was in terms of the science fiction. Yeah, definitely. the workshops coming up where during the daytime we've got some speakers to come and and provide information. We've got uh, secured an author whose science fiction novel is undergoing conversion to a screenplay Mm, as we speak. Yep. So that'll be an interesting insight to have. Yep. uh, And then we're, we're in the talks with some... Uh, filmmaker yep. people and science educators and yes. it's going to be a pretty exciting day all yep. up. Yeah, definitely. Can't wait. So, yeah, we're locking in some of those details. So stay tuned. Uh, the tickets will also be coming available very soon as well through Manpack here in Mandra, which is obviously online availability. So hit us up. Let us know. Let us know what you think about the workshops. If you want to hear anything in particular, Give us some feedback. So let's get stuck into Battle Beyond the Stars and talk a bit about the plot, talk a bit about some of the specific details, things that we picked up um, throughout the film, Surrey. So we mentioned that Roger Corman's a big um, producer. Uh, he tends to have a look at If you go back and look at all of his films over the eras, he's produced a lot of that, those films that are kind of like crossovers, of genres, he's also like mixed up um, films that, as I said, I don't know if you call them B grade. We used to call them B grade, but some of them like this are just genuinely good fun. But definitely, this film there is a, there was a clear intention, and he wasn't alone, was he? Sorry, that Star Wars was such a blockbuster that I think the whole industry turned on a dime and went, "What's a sci-fi?" I remember you spoke about even Alien. The script of Alien was something that. You know, whoever was running that studio was basically like, yep, signed off on Alien really rapidly because of Star Wars. Um, And, you know, even if we go into the 80s, I mean, films like um, Close Encounters of a Third Kind and even E.T., some of those other Robocop, some of those other sci-fi films, I'm sure, probably were made. Uh, because there was some sort of success of Star Wars. Or, you know, some, not some sort of success, because of the giant success of Star Wars. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, Roger Corman's involved in some of them. Uh, yep. you, you can see Battle Beyond the Stars, of course. Yep. Uh, yeah. Galaxy of Terror. Space Raiders. Forbidden World, Space Raiders. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's certainly involved in things. Also with involved with uh, John Sayles in a couple of these. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Battle Beyond the Stars and The Howling, yep. written by John Sayles. Yeah, well, The Howling's quite a good... 
kind of horror. Don't know if it it's probably doesn't come under the sci-fi. Zoological? No, it's <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, we might have to check out the trailer. So anyway, so Roger Corman, big um, player, and he does get an uncredited version of the director. I don't know if that means he was that involved, that poor Jimmy <laughs> was in the chair second-guessing every kind of director's move that he wanted. I don't know. Um, and John Sales, obviously, as we said, prolific kind of writer um, and filmmaker was behind this with Anne Dyer. Um, bunch of these actors you mentioned. Who did you mention that you've seen before? George Papard. George Papard from yeah. the A-Team. Yes, he from the A-Team. Yes. I, I was watching this. I was, I was watching him on screen. I'm going, I know that guy. Like the, the blonde hair. Yeah. Like it's, it's very distinctive. And Robert Vaughan as well, who plays that gelt assassin you know the guy yes. that kind of he's been in a whole bunch of stuff a lot of like cop movies yeah, and stuff. yeah. It, especially in the 80s so um that, they were ones that stuck out to me and even john saxon who plays sadar sodor sorry he he stuck out to me as well i didn't look up these guys exactly who they are but go check them out i think you'll recognize a lot of faces there um playing those roles it was was filmed in la pretty small budget for the time two mil and returned a profit with 11 mil at the box office Interesting fact, but James Cameron got his big break on this film. He is the production designer. This is the film, uh, if you go really look into Aliens, they talk a lot about this film. He, This is where he kind of got his images that then would also pop back up in Aliens, the set design. He used McDonald's styrofoam cups yes. um, because the budget was so uh, – not cups. I think cups and, and the burgers used to be in those yes. uh, styrofoam burger containers. Um, that was all part of the props that he used in this. Did get a lot of kudos this film, and I think if you do go look at it, definitely the special effects in this film seems to have lasted at, the time. Eh? At, at the budget, is those models are pretty good. Yeah. The lighting. Uh, you, there's, you, there's a couple of really nice lighting effects when uh, Nanalia's ship yeah. is absorbed by that lizard man's That's right. ship yeah, like, yeah. and the red light. Yeah, comes across it. It's quite nice. And even the spaceships themselves, like I will say this, right? There's a lot of repetition of the same shot uh, of the spaceship. But we do have these moments of the spaceship, which, you know, they look as good as Star Wars and these other films that have done, you know, even modern CGI looks just as good. You can tell they're models, they're very detailed. And I guess that goes back to James Cameron and he led that team and um, broke through with his design. And a little inside note, he met Bill Paxton, who had not acted in anything at this point in time. He was a carpenter on this set. Um, and this is where they met and obviously they became friends and later on he, he made sure he was in Aliens. So um, that's, you never know, start out there on a crew as a carpenter and you could become a big Hollywood well, director. That is one of the uh, bits of advice you do get from yeah. various Hollywood types is saying if you want to be in Hollywood films, yeah, go and just get involved and help people out. That's right, yeah. Because there's so many stories where you know, um, actors meet each other and become friends yeah. and then one of them gets a bit of a break and says, yeah, yeah. hey, this these guys life. are pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And, if I mean, Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler is yeah, one example. Yeah. And he has all these crew And then you've, you've got the, uh, the the yeah. Will Ferrell and yeah. his, his bunch, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and so on. It's the same sort of deal. Yeah. But speaking of the special effects and the cameras, one of the things I was looking out for is Star Wars was renowned because it pioneered the use of computer tracked cameras yep so that you could run a camera and this is why the the space fight scenes in star wars look so good because mm. in uh, battle beyond the stars 
you're largely just sort of see one model yeah, and then another shot to another model. You're yeah. seeing two models on the screen at once, very unusual. Mm. Because to do that, you kind of literally had to have the two models on the yeah. same camera at yeah, the same yeah. time and trying to get them to track with the background. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. Star Wars used, uh, you know, um, cameras on motorized dollies mm. and they would you know, perform a movement sequence yeah. through and they'd do that background and then they'd put one spaceship in and the camera would do the exact same movement yeah. with the, you know, the model would be attached to the camera. So it, it's like it's following that. Yeah, yeah. that. And then they would put in like the TIE fighter, yeah. the third model, which would then fly past or something. And the camera yeah. would repeat the move three times, four times, yep. and then they'd layer all of those. And mm. so you get that real, real impression that the camera is moving through a 3D scene, yes. even though there's actually only one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the uh, trench scene in Star Wars is particularly famous for this because they had, that was done in multiple passes. You know, the yeah. camera would fly through the trench, yeah. then the camera would fly along with just the spaceship, the X-Wing, yeah. and then the TIE fighters would come into it, and then they layered those together, and it really looks like there's a fighter flying through a trench being you know, chased. Shot at, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that sort of technology was pioneered mm. by, by them, because prior to that, the World War II films, they had to chuck cameras up on aeroplanes, yeah, and yeah. it was really hard and expensive. Mm. This was... Once they got this sorted out, they could just do this over and over again for yeah. all of their space scenes, yeah. and it was cheap. Yeah, yeah, and and it gives you that consistent effect. Yeah, and yeah. and you can see in this film they didn't have access to that technology. No, because so the backgrounds didn't quite map like they were no. clearly uh, just it's like a, a slowly of, panning stars, yeah. and then a spaceship would kind of look a bit wobbly going across. Yeah, and yet you had a lot of like spaceship right to left, right to left, and then the other one left to right, left to right, and yeah. then. And then they're coming towards each other, left, left, right, left, right, and then bang, you know, and it's and then and then you had that same effect of like the spaceship blowing up, and and it's just the pan left, pan right, pan left, pan right, yeah, and and I mean that's fine, that's fine, it works. We as an audience follow it, but yeah, it's not quite to that meticulous well, detail. Star Wars, that's the way films used to get made. Yeah, even even the westerns were the same one. You'd have a picture of the guy shooting, pia 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 pia. But you wouldn't have the person he's shooting at on the screen at the same time because mm. mm. it's dangerous. And I did see that Roger Corman reused some of the footage of this film into one of his later science fiction films. So he's rehashed it, oh, <laughs> some good. of the battle scenes and the, 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 the models and stuff to save money on that other film. He's rehashed some of these, these effects. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's when you're talking about this kind of budget and how they're making these films, slightly different. But, hey, if you're an indie filmmaker, the, these are the tricks of the trade to still produce something that looks good and the audience goes along with and has a good bit of fun. Yeah, if you find yourself in a, in a great location, yeah. just take a whole bunch of extra shots. Because it could be for the next from film. different weird <laughs> angles and so forth. Yeah, yeah. You never know when it might be handy to have... Yeah, definitely. ...have use of that. So let's uh, speed up a bit here, sorry, and get into the narrative. So, look, we like to break the narrative down into some common elements. We, we're talking about um, the script writing part, the, the narrative expectations in filmmaking. We do base a lot of these off people like um, the script writing teachers of Campbell, Snyder, McPhee, McPhee, sorry, no, no, McPhee, <laughs> McKee and Field. I was mixing those two together. Um, basically saying that all films have a three-act structure and that's broken down into a beginning, middle, end. And in those parts, there is key beats and moments that we need to focus on. So what's in the first part, sorry? 
first act is always the introduction. It has an opening scene. It gives you, uh, usually you find out who the protagonist is, who mm. we're supposed to be rooting for. Yep. We usually have a reason for why we're supposed to root for them. Yeah. You because know, yep. it's no point just someone saying, this is the good guy, trust me. That's right. We need something to see about that. We need to have some sort of um, catalyst, an inciting incident. Something happens which kicks off the story. Yeah. It's that incident Sador turns up and says, I'm going to blow you up. Yeah. And everyone says, oh, no, we have to find help. <laughs> and so as, as the audience, you go, well, this story is going to be about finding help to defeat Sador. Yeah. And that's what the inciting incident is. Yeah. Some films have it earlier. Some have it later, depending on the pacing they're yeah. trying to achieve. I think it's best to have it early. But- if, yeah, if it's, if it's too late, you can draw it out a bit yeah. if you're trying to get um, often a bit of uh, suspense films mm. and so forth will draw it out just a little bit longer, yeah. maybe an extra minute or two, because you know something is coming. Yeah. And it's just part of the suspense. Yeah. Uh, then we have um, some sort of questioning of yes. whether we should have this story or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching Hancock last mm. night, if you remember that yeah. Will Smith film. Mm. It's got a few scenes that did not age well and Will Smith has gone on record to say that he regrets them. Uh, so if you do watch it, you know, be aware that it, it probably has a few dated references that mm. might make you cringe a bit. And if you, <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, my kids are watching it and I'm going, oh, kids, don't listen to what he's saying. Don't listen to what he's <laughs> saying. Okay. His character is meant to be an asshole, so maybe that's okay. Yeah. But anyway, in that one there is literally Hancock is sitting there going, someone has said, hey, I can be your PR guy to help you be a hero. And Hancock goes, do I be a hero or do I just keep drinking and being a slob? Yeah. Yeah, literally that debate. And then that will always, of course, I'll, I'll say, yes, let's go and be a hero. Yeah. We break into two, yep. which is act two. Yeah, so in act two, we they've decided on the journey, so to speak. So they're going there, they're trying to solve the inciting incident. There's this sort of moment of fun and games, which Schneider calls that sort of the trailer. So it's the bit of the setup of the inciting incident, the, the character trying to solve that and having some fun and games in the narrative. If they're going on for a journey, a physical journey, well, this is that physical journey bit. This is kind of climbing the mountain. Um, there may also be a B story. This can be a love story. This can be a friendship. This can be sort of something else that is playing out but must connect back to that main narrative. And that leads us to a midpoint normally the midpoint just bang straight halfway in the story and the idea of the midpoint is that they've had some fun with it but things now are a bit more serious so they've maybe rounded up a team they've played for the championship they've training then the championship games now begin you know and so the there's a moment in the film that's right there that now we get a bit more serious um, and they might even try to enact out their first idea to solve the inciting incident. So Sado is going to blow up our planet. What's our first main idea? Let's round up mercenaries. Okay, we're together. Can we fight them back? Oh, no, it's actually a little bit harder than that. <laughs> um, this is when we do have things like the world can become a bit tighter, smaller, harder. The world, the narr- the world of the narrative becomes tougher for the main character. Oh, the championships isn't just about winning one game. You've got to win 10 games. Oh, and we've got to travel and we don't have a bus. You know, like, so So there's, there's things that now multiply the extremity of the world and things should get harder. And really this is where, like, script writing teachers will throw, say, throw everything at the character that's possible. So you've got to throw all, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater as an expression. 
progression. So it's like literally the hardest thing for your character, the writer needs to throw at them. And sometimes it's done really well, sometimes not done so well. You know, as an audience, we need it to be really tough. So things like there's expressions like the bad guys close in, everything is lost, they're on the side of the road with no money in their wallet and the car's broken down, they've got nowhere to go and they can't get to where they're going. What do you, what does a character do then? And this is when they must decide, ah, okay, this is the action plan. And that breaks them into the third part of the film. And the third act is, of course, called the finale. Yes. Not surprisingly, <laughs> really. Uh, this is where, as I said, we've, we've hit some sort of a rock bottom. We've, we've hit some turning point of, oh, okay, so it's not all the way I thought it was going to be. Mm. Things aren't always working out, but damn it, I'm going to do it anyway. Yes. A plan is uh, acted on. Yep. It sort of brings together the good traits of the hero. Mm-hmm. It will... Usually it fails or yep. has a hiccup in it yeah. where it's like, yeah, it turns out that's not quite good enough. Mm. The hero has to dig deep and find that that bit of, you know, we've seen them growing and doing stuff throughout the whole movie. Yeah. This is the point where some earlier insight, knowledge, you know, often this is where suddenly you'll, the character will go, oh, that links to this, to this. Oh, the weak spot of this monster is here. Yeah, of yeah. course, that makes yeah. sense. Now I understand that mad guy's raving from the first scene. Yes. Um, I watched World War Z a few weeks back. Yeah, yeah. And in the, one of the very first scenes, the uh, Brad Pitt's family's run away from the zombies and they run past a, a bum on the street who just is not I- ignoring the zombies and having a drink. And the zombies come running past, run straight past him. But it's mm. a short, quick cut. And when I first watched the film, didn't notice it. But the second time watching, I went, oh, they've given us that little hint there. And sure enough, in the finale, Brad's big character remembers, oh, that, that boy with no hair, shaved head, well, he must have had cancer, I suppose. Yeah. That, that old, confused-looking guy that the zombies were running around. And he didn't notice the bum, of course, but as the audience, you mm. might go, oh, actually, and that bum, he was probably on his last legs too. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we get that realisation turns into the the actual victory and we have the final image where the, the hero, uh, you know, we, we see the resolution of this. What is what is the end result yep. of their success? What have they learnt? Um, it's usually a, a calming moment where we can release our breath after the big final battle. Yes. Um, in Star Wars, the, they, they blow up the Death Star. Yeah. And we have that little award ceremony where we see that there's sort of cheering and there's, you know, there's a bit of heroics and Chewbacca doesn't get his medal, uh, apparently because he was just too tall and the suit didn't allow him to bend properly. So they just didn't film it. It just wasn't going to work out very well. Uh, but anyway, that's... Um, that's the end of the third act. Yes, and they kind of hopefully as an audience go, ah, yay, they got there, you know, yeah, whatever yeah. that means. That's your that's your, your final emotional trail off. And it's a very important part of a film because yeah. some films um, will leave you a very positive yep. feeling, even though the whole film may not be um, what you would normally have thought of as being good, but if the ending really lands it, yeah. you'll leave that film going, oh, that was, I really liked that. There's yes. something about that film that just made me feel... Yeah. Satisfied. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like a roller coaster is another analogy here that you have gone up and down and upside down. And when you thought you were going to vomit off the side of the roller coaster, it comes down that last terrifying leap. And then it's like, yep. and you're like, you know what? That was a lot of fun. And that that's kind of the part here. Or like, you know, that, you know, there's relief 
at the end of the film. And hopefully the roller coaster has been a good journey and not a terrible one where you receive vomit from the person in front of you. (laughs) So anyway, let's get stuck in nice and quickly for this film. Um, We do open on this world of IKEA. Um, I think that was what it was, IKEA. IKEA. Yeah. Yeah, And the Varda, as you said before, they're kind of peaceful planet. And we very quickly, I mean, again, this is what I always like is a story like this. We very quickly have this setup of Sador and the big spaceship kind of arriving and threatening the planet straight away. Straight up. Um, I sort of, at first I was like, oh, he's come in, he's doing the big hologram face. He's not just blowing the shit out of things like Independence Day. They came, they started blowing up the capital cities and then we, then they gave us a break and we plan to get them but no he just came in and and said i've got (laughs) this stellar converter you're no match for me and i will just annihilate you i'm going to be coming back in a few days time so the setup was really quick there straight straight in i was surprised if you're looking at a a, typically films look at the 12 to sort of 15 minute mark for that for that catalyst i think like you know if you do take um another film you could have had a kia you know like shard going around and living his life right like oh yeah. hey how's it going here's my sister introduce a few you problems know, that he had yeah, like yeah uh he's he's in a bit of an argument maybe people don't respect him as yeah. much as he could do yeah. but this story wasn't really just about him though no, was it no it wasn't um anyway and he does do a little demonstration by just fire at will and the assassins start zapping people out of the planet and then he leaves. He's like, I'm going to come back next Sunday. We, we do see <laughs> Shad is introduced here and yep. we do see that he is a good guy because he immediately goes and helps He does, you know, people and, and is concerned and yeah. other people standing around a bit shocked. He's yeah. taking a bit of action. He does take a bit of action, yeah. Um, and we it leads us to that there's the uh, Zed who's, as you said before, the last remaining warrior yeah. or leader or I don't know what quite it is. I refer to him as a Corsair. A Corsair, there we go, that's the word. Um, but he's old and he's sort of a bit blind and, you know, obviously he's not in his warrior <laughs> status anymore, but they do respect him and honour him. Um, there's also kind of some sort of crystal thing, right? Yeah, they've, they've got this they're... crystal source which seems to be their primary power source and yeah. control process. And they're very peaceful. They don't believe in fighting. And that's what they discuss here is like, well, we have nothing to fight back. We have one spaceship left that is Zed's. Um, but beyond that, we don't really have the ability to do anything. We can't fight um, Sato back. Um, what, what do we do? You know, yeah. who's going to do what? So it's a it's a pretty straightforward setup. We've got a, a guy coming that's going to annihilate the planet and we don't really have anything to fight them back. So this is where Shard steps up, played by Richard Thomas. Uh, he's a young man, and he pleads to take the last remaining ship, and he'll go out and get some help. He'll find help. Yeah, he will. So it's a good setup. So that's that's pretty much the and the debate there straight away is like, well, you're you're just a little farmer. Who are you to do this? How are you going to do it? As, as also, no one's going to believe you. You know, got enough to offer. Mercenaries. Yeah, we don't really have anything. We, they don't have any wealth. They they just live in this peaceful existence. You mentioned Buddhists. They're kind of a bit like Buddhists, aren't they? In that way, that well, they got nothing. They're just living off the land. They, they and, don't. Yeah, they don't live expansive or or. You know, no. big lives. They, they don't seem to have advanced technology as in like, you know, they couldn't even offer that. Their like, town looked uh, pretty simple and yeah. basic. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this is the catalyst. Like he's going to go off and 
dig up some mercenaries. So I liked all this because it was just such a simple, straightforward setup plot point, really. Yeah, and yeah. this this story is about the getting of mercenaries and their interactions and each of them sort of learning. It's, it's in a way you could look at it as a Wizard of Oz type of thing, yep. which is a, likewise is a journey, yep. meeting characters, and then each of those characters has a... A role to play in the resolution. Yeah, they all have their own little sort of narratives. So he does take off, and this to me is important, is that as a character we find that, okay, he's had the balls to say, hey, I'll go do this, when no one else maybe on the planet, you know, is brave enough to go off and seek help. They're all the rest of them are helpless narrative yes. characters. The whole world, the whole world. No, nah, I can't do anything. Well, the, he, whole, he's, the whole world comes, and this is he's our Will Smith, right? He's going to go save the day. Common of of movies, which and yeah, novels and things. It, it's a bit of a what do you call it? A um, a conceit is that yeah. out of this whole, there's a whole planet. Yep. But this really just comes down to this one little settlement. Yeah. With one person. One person. <laughs> That's think, willing to do it. And if you were to, to bring that to the, the planet Earth, and we see it in the planet Earth, like yeah. Independence Day, there's yeah. one Will Smith, and you're yeah. like, there's, there's literally billions of humans. Yeah, yeah. And There'd be a few it, Will Smiths. <laughs> even if, you know, to be talented and lucky enough is a one in a billion things. Yeah. We've got seven or eight of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So um, anyway, so he does. And what this to me is important is that he takes off and – left behind to monitor the planet in case they didn't get up to any trouble was a couple of these Maui, what are they called? Maori warriors or whatever. Yeah. Uh, they they left behind these two kind of mutant guys, uh, not too bright, but very aggressive. They've got pretty good ship um, and that's what they've got going for them. So when he takes off, they are like, oh, there's a ship trying to get away. Let's, let's shoot him down. You know, let's kill it. And so this to me is an important plot point for Shard is that, he starts taking off Nell, who's the um, Hell, yeah, <laughs> the Hell character from yeah. 2001, but she's much more sort of got a lot more personality. Um, she says to him, "Hey, they're firing on you. You got to you got to fight back." And he goes, "Not like he goes, no, I can't fight back. Like I don't really know how to fight. I'm a, I'm a he, farmer." He said, "Like, see, a couple of things is, oh, let's not tip a hand, and then." I just don't know that I could shoot Yeah, them. like he doesn't he, – he feels he's so entrenched in his peaceful way of living he can't shoot mm. him down. And so to me I was like, ah, okay, so his lesson here, his narrative is will he be able to be a fighter? You know, like he's yeah. going to go off and collect fighters and that's the journey is for him to convince them when he's not actually a fighter And himself. it wasn't a matter of courage either because no. he's going off on this very dangerous thing and he – he knows that he's in danger because he's not fighting. That's right. Yeah. But he, so. he continues to try and outrun them. Yeah. And eventually he does. He does actually. These yeah. Malmoris, they're smart enough to go, hang on, we were told to guard the planet. Yeah, if we which, go too far. Which one of these things is going to get us in more trouble? <laughs> Chasing after him cause, and then leaving the planet. Yeah. Or just letting him go. And who cares? And he's like, okay, well, yeah, who we'll cares? This one little plant guy doesn't have any guns. Let's That's right. go back. So his first arrival shard is he, and he gets away. So then his first place is this Dr. Hephaestus. Uh, Hephaestus, that's it. Uh, and who's an old friend of Zed. And we come across, there's this really cool AI robots. Oh, I really like the these. Because awesome. these androids are, there's some that they've done some amazing special effects. They look that half, you know, she, um, the, the female, uh, the daughter character here, she's um, playing 
Nanella, I think, Nanalia. Yeah. Um, she's fixing one and it's that half human, half robotic look. I love it. Um, there's a, that other actor with the glasses who's he did the robot so well. <laughs> no, the like, robot. He movements. really did, and and they'd also um, very cleverly changed their voices. They were ex- you know robotic sound effect voices, um, so they were great. I really liked how they did the robots here. The funny thing I find with those robot voices, we still use these weird computerized voices. We do. I, I can't remember what I was watching not yeah long ago. It was it was a movie set in contemporary times mm. and or actually slightly near future mm. and there was still this robot voice of you have three minutes <laughs> to escape and That's you right. sort of go i talked to my google home which is i've had for years now she talks perfectly fluently mm. you wouldn't even know she was a robot really yeah there you go why is it we seem to still think that computerized voices in the Should future talk like this will be weird and kind <laughs> of eternal i don't you know, know. Like, it's it's a strange uh, it's one of those movie uh, tropes or, yes, or requirements. Yeah, yeah. Is, oh, yeah. that's a computer That's voice. a robot. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's not – there's not literally a person on the microphone saying, you have three minutes to escape. Yeah. Because that would you – know, people would go, well, hang on, aren't they going to escape? How come they're sitting there just reading this out? <laughs> Maybe know? that's it. As an audience, we would be too freaked out. They're like, what about that guy? What about that guy behind – no, but that's a robot. Yeah, but he sounds too human. Like yeah. he's got a, he's just got to sound a bit no, off. No, these yeah. these robots and the robot design and the way they they moved. I wonder if they got dancers. To I think they, they yeah, because, I reckon they would. I, my thinking was especially that guy with the glasses and yeah, the hat, body like, control, his was so body. Good. Yeah, he was like he wasn't just doing you know the sort of robot dance. He was doing a real full robot. I thought it was terrific. So kudos to that actor and and them picking that. But also those special effects. It's very you know you've got the it's not the modern day robot that we might see now. It's very sort of mixing the human biology with. You know, it's mixing that biology with it. And I love it. It's like the ooze and the the flowing and and the yeah. I, I I just just it's just terrific. I love I love that half and half. And you know how they've done it, but it's great. You know, it's like so they've got someone in there, their face, but they're in the chair, <laughs> and the robotic bodies on top of them. So I think James Cameron had a bit. There was definitely you know that kind of Lance Henriksen character, an alien. Yeah the, yeah, the milk and the milk and, and the white milk, fluid yeah. and all that. Like, yeah, there's there was a bit of a similarity going on there, you know. So not quite as horrific, but it was definitely there, I reckon. So when he rocks up here, the doctor, the father, is uh, basically saying, "Look, don't go back. You can't fight this guy. Just stay here and breed with my daughter." Yeah. And you mentioned that there is a bit of gender playing out. That it, you know, we see again. Chart, it's a, a redeeming feature, isn't it? It's not like he's like, okay, zip. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, this is pretty good. I could have a crack, and you know what? Yeah, fuck the rest of my planet. I'm just going to sit back and have a good old time here. And the daughter seems a bit interested as well because she's obviously never met she's, a, ooh, a, a real a, human a real, male. Yeah, ooh, like a real, amazing. real person I can breed with. You know, so she's not completely. Uh, like, oh, the father's making her do this. But, yeah, so Shard, there's a redeeming feature there, which is great. So to me, this was all the debate, you know, like it's it's a clear debate of do you want to continue on your journey? It's almost like dangling a carrot, isn't yeah. it? It's like you could just stay here, you could be safe, you've got a woman, you can have children. You know, this they're obviously in a sophisticated ship and it's quite large. Uh, so, you know, you've sort of got everything at your fingertips. Why, why risk your life? But he decides, no, I'm going to go on and do that. So that's to me is like breaking into two that he's not, nah, he's been given like a way out and he says no. So yes. it's and, a repetition. And, and of this him. of course is where we're expecting to get 
this uh, promise of the premise. We, yeah. we didn't mention that before, but that's common term or the yeah. fun and games. The fun and games, yeah. He's going to go off to try and recruit mercenaries. So he's turned mm. up here. He said, yes, I'm definitely going to continue on with that. Yeah. And so we, we are expecting that as the audience that he's going to have various encounters yeah. with mercenaries in strange yep. locations. Mm. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So what's a couple of the ones that he comes across? Uh, I've... Just remembered here, I was going to talk about the, the, the design of, the, of Nell, the spaceship, but his encounters here, he, he flies out and he immediately comes across, uh, he's going to look for a dodgy-ass planet. I can't yeah. remember the name of the planet because he's told that's where you'll find mercenaries. Yes. But on the way there, he comes across... Uh, cowboy. Is it the cowboy first? Yeah. yeah. So cowboy's being chased by drones, being shot at, and so he, he goes in and helps out the cowboy. And saves him. Mm. And the cowboy doesn't seem to be terribly concerned by it. No. He's just like taking it easy. He's, he's got very powerful shields. You can see it's bouncing stuff off. But he goes in there, rescues a cowboy. And we meet this cowboy who's... Um, a cowboy. Cowboy. <laughs> he was going to deliver Smoking, weapons. Smoking, yeah. But we saw what happened to the planet that he was delivering the weapons to. Yeah. Clearly, they were going to stand up to Sador, who then Stella converts them. Yes. And that's where we see the, the stakes of this. So we yes, weren't just, we were initially told and we're going, oh, stellar converter, what's, how scary is that? Yeah. Well, it turns out it destroys whole planets. Yeah, it turns it to dust. Yes. So that's, yeah, there's, there's not, not even dust is left, is, <laughs> I think is the phrase there. So yeah. conveniently enough, Cowboy has got a whole shipment of weapons. Yep. And nowhere else to send them to. They're already paid for. So he agrees to take them yeah. on. Yeah, so he comes across there, he's got the cowboy. He then comes across that Hester, who I talked about before, this five Nesta. set of alien clones. They have group consciousness and they're called Nesta. And basically they have a very incredibly dull life. They seem to have a sophisticated ship. I was sort of wondering, oh, what what sort of ability do they actually have to fight like what will be their ability to fight and um you know and we we find out that later in the film which is cool um but yeah they're willing to help because they're just so bored they're not interested in payment as well they're just like oh we're fine we're self-sufficient um and that they will join in the fight he then goes to this awesome old millet as a renegade planet or something yeah that was the mercenary planet he was originally trying to get to before he was so rudely interrupted by everyone else. And yes. it's, I got the feeling it was like the old, you know, Las Vegas or Reno yeah. or, you yeah, know, that's the idea. It's kind of a, a disreputable town mm. of, of bits and pieces. And he, it's, it's, it's run down and yeah. deserted. And it looks like it's an old casino maybe. Yes. And he goes in and we see a few of these things like dial a drug <laughs> and he goes, beep, beep, beep. And, yeah, it, and the drugs a, come a out. Pill comes out and he, just about puts it in his mouth mm. and he... This is very John Sayles. See something well, else and it's um, the dial a date. Dial a date, yeah. <laughs> Pushes the button and, and he gives goes, it a go. He, he looks at it and then shrugs and goes, huh, okay. Yeah. It's a bit of a mod- it's a bit of a uh, take on Tinder, I think, in a way, because he's like swiping it as well, yeah, which is swiping, interesting. Swiping, swiping through. Swiping through different women. Picks one of them, flicks the button and the doors open <laughs> and there's the, the sex bot, but it's it's... All covered in cobwebs. Yeah. I'm wondering what the spiders are eating though. But anyway, yeah, yeah. covered in cobwebs and dust. And it, it's, it's rotted away. It's yeah. a bit crusty. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's artificial skin is, is not looking great. No. And, yeah. And they kind of have a stare off, don't they? I really yeah. liked that. Yeah. That was cool. And he, anyway, and then he's interrupted by this Gelt character played by Robert Vaughan, who, um, sitting on a crown of wealth, basically, of everything. You yeah. know, there's everything he's present. Like a, he's like smog on his treasure yeah. pile. Yes. But we find out that he's the last remaining 
intelligence, basically, and he's hunted. Everyone in the universe wants him. Mm. Uh, and anything left on this planet is... He mentions some names. I can't remember. He's like, oh, they're ground dwellers and they're not, you know, so there's other species lower on the planet. Forms. Lower forms. Um, whatever that means. And Shard is a bit like, well, I can't really offer you any money. You know, you've got all this stuff, but I can offer you food and shelter. And he's like, well, yeah, actually, that's that sounds pretty good. That's what I'm interested in. Um, and the great thing with him, you get the impression, is he's really confident and he's got a great ship and he's a fighter. So he, if to me, him coming on board in this storyline, I was like, ah, oh, he actually has someone that can fight. Who is, and, is an actual professional mercenary. Yeah, that's right. That's so like, whereas everything else feels a bit hickety-pickety, just kind of collating these odd balls. Yeah. <laughs> and you're know, like Cowboy, they even he even says, Cowboy says, I can't fight. Like we've got, I've got no bullets in this spaceship, you know, yeah. apart from the hand weapons. Um, but the, the ship can't do anything. Uh, and, um, yeah, so, and then as he's leaving from there, he this is where he comes across, he gets, starts getting bothered. It's a bit like a fly bothering us, yeah, like he's blowing this fly out of the face. This little spaceship is kind of zooming around and bugging him and, and confronts him and shoots even like blanks at him. Yeah, a little... <laughs> Light blasts, as it were. We get seen inside that there's this Saint Exxon played by Sybil Danning and she's a Valkyrie warrior um, and she completely wants to fight something. It's the small man syndrome. It's the Napoleon syndrome, really, isn't it? It's like she wants to fight this huge thing and he's like shrugging her away. So kudos here to the costume design of this creature character because it's just incredible. As Sarah has mentioned before, latex spandex, it's cut. You see parts of her body, you don't see other parts, but yeah, she is this future. I mean, yeah, if you say a futuristic warrior woman, yeah, sure, yeah, like they, Design, they nailed it. Designed in the seventies, eighties, yeah, <laughs> um, big boobed, blonde hair, beautiful looking Amazonian sort of warrior, yeah, which was very common when you take some of these characters. I think, well, uh, fact, how, they, how they dressed her and well, how they made Sybil Danning. Has played similar in other lots of other yeah, films right. of the time. The same sort of thing. She was the uh, often the warrior woman or the yeah, uh, yeah. Valkyrie. You know that I have not seen. I saw this when I was young. It was like the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman. I yes. think, and it's kind of a bit of. I'm not saying homage to that, but there's definitely a similar vein there in the costume and the character and that sort of idea. Yeah, and while we kind of see um, the daughter Nanalia, she gets suddenly captured. Um, and you were mentioning the special effects. Yeah, she kind of flies her ship into this rainbow, star rainbow thing, doesn't yeah, it? Or, or, or it captures her and you see her ship kind of malfunctions and she's knocked unconscious and then she wakes up and this weird reptilian Lazulu, I think is the name, um, has... Heyman. His name, his name was Cayman. I remember that because it's oh, like a crocodile. Cayman of the Lazoo. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Cayman, yeah. And, yeah, he kind of looks like a crocodile. Um, and he's captured her and he's got these two little alien heat things. Yeah, these beings that <laughs> and, communicate and, through thermal regulation or something or other. Yeah, and a Conan warrior kind of guy, right? <laughs> yeah, like just like, a huge muscular man, you know, um, with some sort of weird his, spear broom He's the harpooner because yeah. Yeah, Cayman explains that he hunts these floaty things and uh, drains yeah, yeah. their protein. Right, that's right. And yeah, then yeah. he's caught her and going, well, you know, your 
your your form will sell nicely. Yes, I'll what sell you on the sell box. Sell me. He's like, well, yeah, flesh or as yeah. a slave, whatever. Yeah, whatever it all right. works. Yes, it all works. I need payment. She mentions this Sado character, and suddenly he's, oh, that Sado. I'll find <laughs> him for free. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? And she explains what's going on, and he's, yeah, well, it. It destroyed Lazo years ago, so this is personal for him, you know. So, yeah, that's cool. So he joins in the fight, and to me, this is like a perfect midpoint, really, because it's like he's gathered up the mercenaries. Yeah. So we return back home, um, and this is, of course, like the midpoint we see when they return back home. Gelt straight away, you know, sees this ship that's guarding the planet, you know, the the two Mamaria was, and he just fights them and takes them down, yeah. right? So it's like shows that he's got a powerful ship, he's much more smarter, you know, brilliant, you know, um, mercenary. This is what he is. So kind of is a little bit of a hopeful midpoint. Yeah, it, it wasn't – this wasn't a, um, you know, false victory midpoint. No. This was, this was sort of the – Okay, we've done the, the collection phase. Yeah. Now we're on the defense phase yeah. as a and midpoint. They're a group of bandits, you know, and we've seen this in many other films. They're not nece- they're not a huge they're not the Russian army coming in. It's a, they're not the save not necessarily gonna save the day, but they're gonna put up a fight. You know, yeah. and now we feel like, okay, you know, it's not just a farmer against a stellar converter. It's it's a group of mercenaries, but maybe they are the underdog, as I as I said before. Um Well sure. It mentions that uh, Sado has 25 fighting ships, but they've got seven mm. or five or six yeah. or however many yeah. it is. So there's a bit of an uh, but we saw the power of Gelt take out one pretty easily. So it's like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, he's going to, if there's 25 of them, he might take out 15. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's definitely increased the odds. Um, they reach back, and I, I like this, they reach back to the planet, so and these these people, again, they're all like, ah! <laughs> they they hide in terror. Um, oh no, it's Shard. He's coming back. You know, it's a spaceship. You know, so they're really useless. These people, aren't they? You know, they're not uh, yeah. fighters. I'm sure they make a great casserole. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's it, the whole point there is it's um, it's sort of reminiscent of like the old Roman times of like the Romans coming in and people just like ah, you know, like run farmers to run to the hills. You know, yeah. like we can't fight them. They're not fighters. So again, it's that underdog. Yeah, the cowboy unloads the weapons, and they did. This is a bit actually a sci-fi I really liked. Was this idea of the crystal? They come up with the idea of building trenches, like the old war, you know, yeah. what we did in World War One, World War Two, and instead of just building them, they used the crystal to kind of form just these massive them. trenches across the planet. I have a strange feeling that a part of this really was just a way of making it cheaper to do. Yeah, because <laughs> now you can just do it in a sound studio yep. with a couple of. Walls with yeah. some that fake concrete yeah. rock stuff on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cheaper way to and do it. And you can doctor who it. You yeah. just need one T intersection. Yeah. And one elbow corner, yeah. and then now you've got every possible arrangement by camera <laughs> yeah. angle. Yeah. And I mean, you don't need diggers and plant. You know, lots of people digging up the earth. Do you, you just? press the crystal and it does it for you you know so yeah it explains a lot very quickly yeah the cowboy unloads all the weapons um and this is when then sardor does return yes um so yeah it's the bad guy kind of literally closing in and i felt here was interesting because there'd been a bit of interaction with the people on the planet and the cowboy started to know that woman i'm not i'm not even too sure who where she came from but she was a local woman and then they explained to him, well, 
he thought he was going to just drop the weapons and leave, and then it's like, no, you can't. Yeah, it's leave. too late. It's too late to leave. If you leave, he'll just shoot you down. So the cowboy reasons the old Western. Well, we're stuck here. We've got to dig our heels in, and there's no circle route. of wagons. Yeah. So yeah, all uh, that leads to kind of all is lost. Where or you know the battle scene, they start fighting Sador, don't they? They head into space. Yeah, it's a bit of the a first battle. It's you. You could be thinking it's sort of going to. It's not quite third act here. No, it's not this third is, act yet. This is the thing that's going to uh, set us up for that third act yeah. because we have a bit of a battle and we've been waiting for this. This yeah, is yeah. It's the um, whole point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, this is what we thought was going to happen. And there's a battle. You know, the the various people they shoot off some drones and and what have you, and it seems to be. Uh, an initial victory. Mm. You know, they've sort of held off the first wave and Sado's a bit confused. He goes, oh, well, hold on. Yeah, We're going to have to, know. you know, I think his advice, oh, how about we back off and, and reconsider this? And Sado goes, no, that's bull crap. Yeah, yeah. I'm big bad Sado fellow. Yeah. Uh, and they capture Nesta, one well, of the Nestas. Yeah, but before that they did take out, um, who did they take out? Uh, Gelt, I think, got taken out, didn't he? Was he the first one down? Now I'm thinking, thinking. It must have been because I yeah. can't think of anyone else gets. He, 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 I mean, you're right. It's kind of like not false victory here, but it's like let's attack and Sado sends out his little ships and Gelt takes out a lot. Like yeah. I think he took out about six or seven of them and then he gets hit and he crashes. And he goes, good luck, enjoy the battle, you know, and yeah. he crashes so he's gone. And also I think, what's her face? Doesn't she... Um, the little warrior woman doesn't she surrender kind of by destroying one into a planet? No, no, that's that's right the towards the end. Oh, okay, all right. So not. Oh, well, well, she blows up some ships. She yeah. blows up a couple of they, ships. They, they all kind of blow up a couple of drone ships, yeah, whatever. They, yeah, they show that they they have that yeah. initial success. Yeah, and uh, then Nestor, yeah, he he surrenders one. The one comes on board or yeah, whatever allows one of his uh, facets to be mm. surrendered. And I love this scene as well because. They have him strapped down, ready for torture. And says, "So, does your form have a high tolerance for pain?" <laughs> oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to, "I'll never tell you anything." He's all, oh, yeah. "I'll tell, I'll tell you." Very honest about his feelings. Yeah, uh, this is going to hurt me a, a great deal. Like, <laughs> With a smile on his face. Yes. Oh yes. We've been so bored that pain sounds like fun. <laughs> but we've seen Sato has had his hand uh, rather Napoleon-esque in yeah. his shirt. This whole time, and they they cut off Nestor's arm. Well, Nestor just dies. They start yeah, to well, torture, and he just dies. He dies. They, yeah. they cut off his arm and attach it. Yes. To replace, and so Saddle goes. Oh, now I have this nice arm. Yes, yep. I'm getting stronger. I'll live forever. Yep. But then this is all part of Nestor's, Nestor's tricky plan yeah. because they can control the arm. Yeah. And they they grab his knife out, and there's a struggle, Trying and to... it just nicks his throat. Doesn't yeah. quite get him. Yep. And then they get rid of it. He gets the arm chopped off. Chop again. it off. <laughs> And Nessa says, oh, we have failed. Yes. <laughs> oh, well. Um, so th- there's kind of like a that, – that heads to that. And then they're back on the planet, aren't they, where um, the troops start rolling in. The troops So, again, it's in. like the bad guys are getting – things are getting worse. So the troops roll in. And, and at first, some of the – with the cowboy, they shoot a few of them. They, you know, they win a little bit of ground. Then a lot of them get shot. It's sort of, yeah, one step – Forward to two back. step back, yeah. but they're not. I mean, again, they're not fighters. Some of them are fighting. You see, there's lots of dead bodies, um, and the troops from Sado are starting to gain a bit of ground. Um, and then the cowboy, they kind of like force on top of them. But then the troops have got this 
tank and they start rolling and instead of a traditional tank it's a sonic tank sonic and weapon. they realize that and they're like screaming and they they go we can't fight them because we can't concentrate it's burning our ears and this is where they cue, to, cue these two little heat aliens yes. <laughs> who like run in there and uh, stand before the tank because they spoke with heat, they had no ears. Yes, and they, and they basically sit there and shout at the tank. Yeah, they do. They shout at the tank in heat and the tank blows up. Yes, too much heat. Um, but with that, they also die or they it, run it out of energy or unclear something? clear yeah. to me. I think the idea was that, yeah, they needed to recharge. As yeah. I mentioned, this, oh, they, they need time they, to They've got re- low energy now, yeah. Recharge. They've yeah. used up all their energy. But yeah. it could have indicated they've used up all their energy, they're dead or... Yeah. They're not really mentioned again later, so we don't know. So they, they have, it's a, it's a victory there. So mm. they've kind of won on the ground. You know, so, so Sador's lost a couple of uh, ships in space. They've lost, the good guys have lost a couple of ships. Um, but they've kind of won on the ground. So there's a there's a reprieve there for a moment, mm. isn't there? And they kind of have to now, they regather on the planet and it's time for battle round two, so to speak. It's sort of that point of, well, what do we do now? Do yeah. we, we've lost... Gelt, who was like our, yeah, our biggest, fighter. baddest dude, yeah. and uh, Nestor is is down a bit. You know, what are we going to do? They do decide to fight. Uh, the cowboy talks a bit more with a woman and goes, well, you know, let's get this going. Yeah. Uh, and they... Yeah, and well, he joins in. He flies into space. Sados says, get out the stellar converter. Yeah, let's start, let's let's do start converting this yeah. thing. Yeah, so they they kind of pick off the rest. They start uh, Sado starts doing some nuclear missiles, which you can't outrun, and that kind of takes out another one. And yeah, and then this is where what's her name Saint? She 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 destroys one by running it into a moon or something. Yeah, the and then and- but then she gets annihilated herself. Oh, she she lines herself up for the stellar converter because yeah. they, they've got to drop That's the shields. Right. Yes, uh, you know. Um, Cayman of the Lajula, he went for a head-on run. That's right. And he got destroyed. He couldn't get through the shields. Yes, that's right. And at that point, they open up the front. Uh, Nestor. Santa X-Men comes flying in. Yeah. And just at last minute, ejects. Yes. And her ship crashes into the, the stellar converter. That's right, yeah. And they, they go, well, let's, we can't fire the stellar converter. What's that's going right. on? Yeah, 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 we can't. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And so it's only Nell that's left now, isn't it? And the Shard and um, Rashad and Nalia. And so yes. they sort of fight it. They go, this is our one shot. Um, but then they're crippled, aren't they? They're, mm. they're, they're fired upon with a nuclear missile or something. Yeah, missile and they're going to yeah. go... And so then they're sort of trapped and he, he says, well, let's we can't fire the stellar converter, but let's destroy them, bring them into the ship. Yes. So they sort of magnetically bring them in. And this is where, because they're sort of Nell, who's been very sophisticated the whole time, a bit like Google. <laughs> she hasn't spoken like a robot. She's had a lot more personality. She's a bit damaged. Her memory bank is damaged. And so then they're like, well, we're, we've got to surrender. And this is a great kind of heading to the finale because you're like, They've given it all. They have destroyed the stellar converter, so maybe they've saved the planet. But will he be able to fix it? Are they just going to die? And in that last yeah. minute, they're they're both like giving up. But they come to the conclusion like, oh, we can use Nell as a bomb. We can self-destruct her and we can pod off. Yes, pod off. <laughs> and uh, so they run to the pods and they try to get Nell working, but she's a bit unreliable at this point as well. So there's a great moment there where she, self-destruct, Nell. Okay, self-destruct, no worries. <laughs> and it's like, down. count down from 10, 10, 
14. 14. 12. 12. 23. And they're like, oh, well, this plan might not work, but we'll get out of here. And uh, um, she's been, the ship's been dragged inside this, you know, the big, the big mother ship. And uh, they do, they get into the pod. And as I said, there's a humour there. And I think Sador addresses Nell and that's kind of what kicks her back in a little bit, doesn't it? Oh, no, you're not going to do that. Five, four, yeah. <laughs> three. And she destructs. And there's also, I liked, there's a moment there where the ship the ship starts blowing up because she's blown up and Shard and uh, the daughter have taken off. And Sador's like... I'm not going to die. Like yeah, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever. And the ship behind him, there's great special effects there as in actual explosions on the ship, you know, and, and him as a person. And he's like, I'm not going to die. <laughs> this isn't how I'm going to die. So to me, that kind of is that nod back to the, what I said at the start of he was a bit of a bully, didn't really think anything would pull him down, I think, so... That sort of typical villain, like nothing's going to pull I'd me down. I'd love to know the backstory so, of how this I, guy got hold of a stellar converter. Prequel, sorry, prequel. Yeah. John Sales, you're still out there, time for a prequel. Yeah, right, um, do it. Anyway, they've potted off and they're okay, but they're a bit sad, aren't they? And this is this finale moment. Oh, we have this finale. And, and it's quite nice, I reckon. Much. I find it's interesting. It's uh, We often talk about bookending, yeah. these sort of things. And the start of this movie was just like bang in the first two, three minutes. Yeah. Saddles there. Give the ultimatum, like yep. in, and the ending is just as brief. Yeah, it's like they're coming back. You expect them to have land, have a bit of a yeah, party, cheers. see who survived, cuddles, and that's thing. No, it's just a, it's a little bit of a speech where it's like you know, in my culture, if you know, you don't die until your final memory is gone from the yeah. last person. So, yeah. They will all live on a kia forever. Yeah, their stories will live on, and that, that's a nice ending because it's kind of like, yeah, they these mercenaries were the only people that really fought for them. Mm. Their actual people didn't fight for them, apart from Shard, and 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 he's saying, well, no, our, our, the legacy of them will live on in the stories, you know. So yeah, it's a nice, and that that's it. Roll credits. Roll the credits. End. Do it. So it's a great narrative. It's very short, succinct. It's very obvious what it's about. Where would you suggest someone to watch this in the, all the course of everything we've been looking at? Sorry, where does this fit onto your ladder? I reckon this one needs to go in the middle. Yeah? Yep. In uh, in the middle. In the middle of the middle? Uh, what about middle you? Middle rungs? What, what position? Yeah, well, it's a bit similar myself. I, um, I'm, it, it is about the middle of the middle for me, but I guess I really looked at it as um, looking at serenity. So, again, looking at that sort of film being in space, uh, much more obviously modernistic, but I liked the humour of it. And I thought if you were to sit down and watch Serenity and then watch this one, that would be kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like, because you'd, I think Serenity would pull you into that world of a Western in space and this would be a further nod to it. So I, I kind of liked the idea of those two being back to back. Um, and then for me on my ladder, following it with that Will Smith, we've talked a lot about him in today's episode, that After Earth um, film. So yeah. I kind of liked those three ideas. So you would have a look at Serenity being one version of kind of being in space and then this one going back a little bit in time in, in the style of film and then also jumping into a similar sort of structured film of After Earth as well. So I kind of liked those. I think that would be an interesting trilogy of films. Yeah, well, it's, well I mean, that's very close. I've got I've got The Beyond and After Earth. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. which yeah, because The Beyond is about the uh, the end of the Earth yeah. coming in, but it's... Yep. And it is by aliens, but it's not by malevolent aliens. Yes. Uh, it's by aliens 
Oh, they sort of got a god complex. They do. It's implied, in fact, that they are the Gods. creators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right in there. I think that's pretty good. Serenity, yeah. Uh, I didn't want to put this right next to Serenity. A little bit too on the nose yeah, yeah. for me, but... I, I totally uh, appreciate that. I was pretty yeah. good. I just, I kind of like the idea because I think if you, well, if you're really into sci-fi, you're probably fine. But if you sort of want to see how sci-fi has evolved a bit, you know, it'd be interesting to maybe watch this and Serenity and just kind of see those two in action, I think. <laughs> but anyway, let us know what you thought, where you would like to watch this. Do you agree with our kind of choices or not? Did we pick up anything in the narrative that you missed out on? It's a fun narrative pokes a bit of humour at itself at times, deliberate nods with the cowboy, um, but it's also a very short, succinct story. So you know what you're in for. You're in for a great little roller coaster ride. So what type of science here? Sorry, I'm really baffled to think what type of science would you pick out of this film? What, what's going on there? It's <laughs> Well, I really like the sonic tank because yeah, it would have been easy to have just said, oh, here's a tank it shoots Fish. big lasers piow, piows, you know, <laughs> like plasma blasts or yeah. they, they didn't even have to say what it was they didn't no. say what their other guns were really no they could have just been you know futuristic guns but they specifically talk about sonic and the reason they did that was because then they had those thermal aliens which is this nice science fiction tie and this idea that here's a alien species which doesn't have ears it doesn't listen and so if you have a tank that requires um, you know ears to hurt you these aliens are basically immune to it yeah and we have sonic weapons yep. and it, it makes sense because what is sound sound is uh you know compression and expansion of material usually the air is the way we hear yeah. it and it's, it's a vibration it's a way so. of transmitting energy and when you put enough energy into something you break it and you put enough energy into a human and you break the human. Yep. So it makes a lot of sense. But sonic weapons, and much like the sonic tank, yep. uh, and, and I think it's very prophetic really because we have very much this same sonic weapon that's on that tank is a real weapon used today, mm -hmm. and it probably shouldn't be used Ooh. because it is quite cruel. And, you know, it's, it's a problem that a lot of people are trying to find less than lethal weaponry. The idea being that they want to be able to graduate their level of escalation. You've got, you know, if if you're some sort of a force and you're trying to enforce some situation, like a, a law, a rule, or, you know, Invasion. Your, your point of view, because <laughs> let's face it, you know, at some point you have, a, you know, a, a declaration of some legislation or a rule that says you must do this thing. And then the person you're telling must do that thing has the option to turn around and say, well, no, I'm not going to do it. What, what, what are you going to do about that? Punishment. And, and so it requires, well, you, you get to that point. And this is why conflict occurs, of course, because, yeah. and the reason we have to have militaries because, and police force, and uh, mentioned Hancock earlier, it's a perfect example. Hancock is a superhero. He's, he's invulnerable. And, you know, go to prison. And he just, at one point, he just sort of rips the door off and walks out and talks to someone. And, yeah. and the prison guards are going, well... Okay, he can just do that because yeah, we bullets, can't. Nothing we have will affect him. Yeah, and at some point he sort of jumps out of the. He throws the basketball out and he jumps out, picks up and jumps back in, clearly showing that rules don't work. And so you do need to have some sort of way of enforcing your rules, or your rules are meaningless. 
Now, if you're a police officer or a you know military personnel or something rather, you go from telling people, hey, do this thing. If they don't, what do you do next? You know, maybe you have your, your riot shields and, and you push them a little bit. And you have or, water, or water cannons and kind of, yeah. you know, push them around and, and disperse people a little bit. But, you know, at, at some point there's, there's a gap then from that sort of thing up to shooting someone dead. Yeah. You know, like, and, and you want options. You don't want to have to go from shouting at someone to shooting them. Bang. Like that's a big step. Yep. And it's a step that, uh, generally speaking, law enforcement don't want to do and peacekeeping military also generally don't want to do that. It's, no. it's a lot. And my personal opinion is that's a good thing that it's a big step. Yeah. It should be a big step. It, you know, if you're saying do this thing and they're saying no, you have to make the decision. Is this thing I'm trying to get them to do worth killing for? Yeah. If it is, okay, go for it. Because it could be. Yeah, it could you. be. You could be saying don't set fire to this building full of orphans. <laughs> you know, and they go, no, I'm going to do it. Okay, well, I'm going to shoot you because yeah. I would rather shoot you than have them all burned to death. But if it's like... Uh, you're protesting uh, Black Lives Matters. Um, is that worth killing someone over? No, it's not. No. Like, you know, you want to sort of contain them and, and not let things get out of hand, but you're making that decision. You go, okay, well, what we should maybe probably do is maybe if the choice is to either, they've, we've asked them to stop or kill them, maybe we should just back off a bit at this point. Yeah. And maybe that would have been a good thing rather than, escalating to tear gas and in this case sonic weapons or so, like the great embarrassing pepsi commercial of the black lives matter times give them a pepsi and everything's okay ah uh, yeah that's a sort of a <laughs> with kyle jenner I that, think that it was, is kylie a, jenner you know just give them a pepsi it's okay it solves everything <laughs> yeah well it helps if you're a beautiful white woman with a lot of money yeah you could you probably could walk up to a, a cop in one of these situations and give them a pepsi but anyway the uh, in 2014, in fact, in New York City, there was a Black Lives Matters protest. And I'm not going to go into the politics of any of that or whether it was appropriate to do these things. But it got to that point where there was a decision made. We said, hey, everyone cool it. And everyone was not cooling it, which is not surprising really considering it was kind of a protest against police brutality. And then like the police are there telling them to... Anyway, maybe they, maybe they could have used some other way. But they decided for good or for worse, to use less than lethal force to try and disperse the protesters. Well, that's probably a good thing. It's a good yes. decision in le less than lethal force. And, and they use this thing called an LRAD, which is a long-range acoustic device. Mm -hmm. and, and what it is, it is it, it's like a big speaker that's highly directional and it puts out an enormous amount of sound in the, you know, 20 to 200, or sorry, the 200 to 10 kilohertz. It's sort of the middle ground of human hearing and it was it's about 160 to 185 decibels so it's enormous to, to put that the loudest rock concert you've ever been to where your ears are ringing and you maybe even feel a bit uncomfortable would probably be about 120 decibels yeah and every 10 decibels is 10 times more than the one prior so this is you know hundreds of thousands millions of times more powerful than the most uncomfortable rock concert you've been to <laughs> Uh, this uh, reporter here then who was there said they had horrible nauseating pain and then realizing it was just sound 
they got confused and they panicked and they didn't know what to do or where to run. Like they, they, they literally just like chose a random direction and just started running because they could not handle it. They were lucky because they, yeah, it is highly directional. So if you move outside of its primary beam of influence, then the pain very rapidly dis- disappears and the person ran off. But there's footage, yeah, right. uh, and you can find it if you go searching hard enough. The people who got caught directly in it and weren't able to run for it, they just dropped to the ground screaming, like mm. l- literally screaming. In fact, there's uh, a lawsuit was raised in, uh, can't remember now, 2009. I'm trying to find the reference. So don't you hate when your notes aren't right? Uh, so there was an earlier protest where a woman permanently had her hearing damaged. Yeah. And she sued the police for improper use of force. Yep. The judge upheld that and said, yeah, look, cops, you you, you did the wrong thing here. You, it's all very cool that you want to disperse protests and that's, you know, sensible in some fashion. But mm. you've permanently hurt someone who was doing nothing more than attending a protest. Yeah. That's not right. So they got sued. They lost a lot of money. Uh, and there's a lot of... Um, controversy in this uh, around can you legally do this uh, it says 2009 in Pittsburgh so there was a, a $72,000 fine to the police so it's not yeah you know, the police will probably go you know whatever yeah, <laughs> comes out of taxpayer money yeah that's that's sort of nothing and and nothing it's not like yeah it's a $72,000 fine oh and by the way disband all of your LRAD weapons yeah it was but uh this, this weapon was originally designed for the Navy and Coast Guard, firstly as a way of long-range audio communication because you had the um, USS Cole, I believe it was, in 2000 and... Was it 2000? Yes, it was in, it was in 2000, not 2006. In 2000, so the USS Cole was in the... Uh, Gulf of um, uh, the Arabian Gulf. Anyway, yeah, you know, yep. Kuwait issues. Um, the Arabian Gulf, or is it? No, what's that? What's oh, far out? This is very frustrating for me. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, they're up there patrolling uh, near Kuwait and Iraq and and uh, you know Somalia and so yeah. forth. And a speedboat came flying towards them. And this. Speedboat didn't have a radio on it, so they couldn't contact it and say, hey, what are you up to? By the way, we're a U.S. missile cruiser. Back off. Uh, and so they called out by just normal loud hailer, and they they couldn't tell uh, if these people could hear them. Yeah. And so they, they, they didn't want to, like, open up. You know, they had sophisticated weapons systems. They could have just shot it out of the water. Yeah. But by the time it got to a range where they went, no, they've definitely heard us. Yeah. But they're still coming at us let's take action yes. it was too late and the, the explosives went off it damaged the, the coal it you know hurt killed people yeah. it was it was not what the military wants and the navy sort of said okay someone give us a solution we need to be able to communicate with people who don't respond by radio and we need to do that at a range that gives us plenty of time to take various other actions mm-hmm. so they've got these um, long range acoustic devices that they the LRAD, which is a highly focused, so they could uh-huh. point it at a boat coming towards them yeah. and use it as a, as a speaker and talk yeah. to them. Say, hey, back off. We're going to shoot you if you come any closer. 
And knowing how incredibly powerful and loud and directed this was, they would know that at that range, yeah. people knew it. The side effect was also they could put it onto an, a, a siren and they could turn it right up so that even if they do keep coming, they, it would get louder and louder and louder and become uncomfortable Yeah, and Cause they would go away. Yeah. This is different to crowd dispersal because, of course, uh, we're talking the distances are quite yeah. significantly different. Yeah. Uh, so it would be a, um, what do you call it, a progressive increase in yeah. volume and discomfort. Yeah. So up to a certain point, they've got to be pretty committed to their action mm. to continue forward or they're just going to be going, no, this is really hurting. We yeah. don't like it. So it's quite, for, for that, I think it's a really good choice mm. because, yeah, if you're a fishing boat, uh, you can hear them. But even if you go, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, they're not going to do anything about it. You get to the point you go, actually, this, I don't not like being it. this yeah. close. It's <laughs> like I'm just trying to get my fish. I'm just going to back off a bit and let them go, let them go past or do whatever it is. I'm not going to try and force my way through here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's quite good, and it worked very well for that. So they they use that, but of course, then the uh, the company that produces these things, they need to increase their profit margin. So they immediately start marketing to everyone as yeah. a less than lethal. Uh, it's been used here in Australia as so far only evidence of it being used as a loudspeaker, hmm. because again, you do have the problem that if you're a a police vehicle. And there's like a, a big protest march coming along and you need to say, hey, guys, turn left. You can't come down this way. You can't come to the Parliament House. We've got uh, Parliament's in session. We don't want people yeah. that close to our all of our politicians yeah. because we know that you're going to hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of thinking if, anyway, uh, so there's no evidence directly that they have used that there's some anecdotal situations which would suggest that it has been used on that mm -hmm. pain setting but so far so good uh so what the protesters need they need a couple of our little heat dudes don't they well i mean that's the interesting <laughs> thing is you can block like some good in-ear earplugs will drop the decibels by 20 decibels yeah which usually if you're like at a rock concert it goes from being uh 100 decibels yeah. down to 80 yeah. which is from you're gonna feel like start feeling uncomfortable yeah you're going to start feeling uncomfortable down to this is just loud music, yeah. which is quite good. Uh -huh. uh, but 20 decibels from 185 down to 160 is still louder than still a jet taking off. Yeah. And you know, you're going to be uncomfortable on that. So you can't really protect against it. But have you heard about the brown note? The brown note? The, no. the brown note. <laughs> well, not in this context, I don't think. <laughs> because it got me thinking, this sonic cannon that was shooting... Uh, it, it was clearly affecting the ears and the mm. sound because these aliens who had no ears were unaffected by it. But sound waves are energy projection. So they will batter your body. And I'm sure you've been near a subwoofer. Mm. Uh, subwoofers operate at very low frequency, so down to 10 hertz, mm. say. Yep. You, you can't hear that, but you can feel it. Yeah. And that's often what they're trying to do in a, in a dance situation. You have you know this beat which actually you can feel your clothing vibrate and mm. your, your stomach yeah. pulsing with it. And it really gets you involved in the music. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, if you were to have it down low and very, very loud, it could physically, you know, cause damage to your organs. Yeah, uh, Your eardrums are quite small, so they can't pick up such a low frequency sound. But your stomach, for example, and your guts would start wobbling. We'll start wobbling. <laughs> so the, the theory is 
can you find a resonant frequency which resonates the intestines such that you lose control of your guts? Ugh. Because this would be an interesting less than lethal weapon as well if you fire this and then you get a whole <laughs> bunch of people crap in their pants. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite Does that stop the protest? <laughs> but if you pumped up the power more, you could rupture organs and, yeah. and use it as a, a lethal attack. Mm. Uh, this concept came out of the uh, probably sorry came out of the space race so when we're looking at sending rockets up their engines you know produce vibrations through the whole rocket ship and vibrations don't travel well through air but they travel well through solid things mm -hmm. so if you strap a bunch of humans onto a big rocket that's vibrating at very low frequency, like down the five to nine hertz, mm. which is even lower than your subwoofer. So your clothing's not feeling, but your whole body is starting to fright. Is this, you know, what's it going to do to people? Mm. And they needed to know before they chucked astronauts into a rocket and shot them into space. And <laughs> I need to find it. Oh. They all crapped their backs and <laughs> their eyeballs wobbled. And yeah. uh, and so they, they did that. They basically strapped them onto a big, you know, vibrating stage and put all sorts of different frequencies through them at different strengths to find out what the effect is going to be. Hence the brown note. So they, they did 160 decibels uh, at about 2 to 3 hertz uh, and from 0.5 hertz to 40 hertz. And, yeah, the people were affected. None of them crapped their dax. They were affected their... Uh, they got... Um, eyeball effects so their eyes would vibrate and yeah. make it hard to see they had trouble speaking correctly because obviously their Voice vocal cords yeah. and their lungs are being affected and they you know disorientation uh difficulty in moving and so forth mm. uh, but otherwise when they turned it off they were just fine so they went okay we can strap astronauts in to a rocket fire them up and by the time they're sort of getting out of space because let's face it, when they're only shooting up on a big rocket stage of their journey, there's nothing they're going to be doing. They're not piloting the ship. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're on a firework heading upwards. But then it brought about this this myth. And South Park, of course, did it where they, um, with the South Park boys in the band, discovered the brown note. And they were going to play it during a school concert, which they did to great humorous effect. Mythbusters, of course, did an episode to find out if they could find any truth to it, they came to the same conclusions as a space race that, yes, you can feel it, you feel a bit uncomfortable, but they could not induce any failures, shall we say. <laughs> but yes, a sonic, a sonic tank could be used and is used for crowd dispersal. Yeah. And you could use that rolling into a, um, a city like this. You know, mm. If you did that with the troop support, like in yeah. the movie... You would you'd definitely be effective because you would be blasting everyone in front of you and they'd all, uh, you know, so even if they're behind pain. cover and things, yeah. they'd run, scatter, fall yeah. over, scream. Yeah. And then your soldiers can just, who are, you know, outside of the cone and blast, can do whatever. Yeah. Unless you meet aliens with no ears. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't done. So, that, so that's it. So have a bit of a... A bit of a look up on sonic weaponry. There's still investigations going into this because, you know, sounds, they travel through water very well. Mm -hmm. There's concerns about sonar. But you could also still use very directed sounds as a weapon against ships. Ships' yeah. hulls cause failures there. 
there was uh there's this i don't know if you heard of the havana syndrome which was thought to be maybe it was an ultrasound or infrasound weaponry yeah right um almost certainly not at the, after further investigations but still uh it's it's a very interesting um concept definitely yeah yeah the sound and i never didn't really realize that I could understand at a military point, but I didn't realize they'd actually used it in the US in protesting. So, mm, yeah, I think that's an interesting, and I mean, it, it does, you know, with what's going on politically right now with Russia and the Ukraine, it does also question that idea of like soldiers using lethal force versus maybe using something that could cause a lot of pain and discomfort and cause, dis- you know, people to disperse. So, yeah. whereas, yeah, it, it, protesting, I mean, in Australia, we can't speak for all those other places. In Australia, you do have the right to protest, but we have seen that since 9-11, there's a lot of legislation that kind of limits the power of a protest. You know, unfortunately, even though we are in a democracy, um, you still can kind of get arrested and kicked off and all this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a, it is an interesting use of not deadly force, but obviously damaging force. Yeah. yeah. So there you go, John Sayer. John Sayer? Sales, yeah, he was sales. <laughs> uh, ahead of the curveball there, ahead maybe. Of it there, yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure the old LRAD has been used in ground forces too, not just ocean. So that brings us to the end of talking about Battle Beyond the Stars. So definitely go check it out. It's a nice, succinct uh, Star Wars esque kind of film without the sort of grand world or the universe that Star Wars presents. But there's definitely lots of fun in this. You're going to laugh. You're going to kind of go on the roller coaster ride with the main characters. Uh, it does bend a bit of the gender stereotypes. It does have some interesting science involved in it. It does push some different points of view on sci-fi uh, and it does have lots of nods to, you know, reference points of other movies and other storytelling, especially the the good old Western. So go check it out and see what you think. Let us know what you thought about what we've talked about today and uh, hit us up on the social media sites, anywhere you can find social media anywhere. on the metaverses. What's his well, face is calling yeah, it we now? Need, we need to buy ourselves a, a shop front now in the meta. Yeah, I don't, don't quite know how Space Brains are going to work in that world. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how that all develops. Uh, of course, listen to us on anywhere you can hear a podcast, Apple, Spotify. Give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the show. Write a review. All of that kind of helps us get further afield. Uh, if you're making a sci-fi film, you've got till about a month to get about into our festival. Get on it. Get on it. We want... Students, if you're out there, apply. If you're Australian, apply. If you're Mandra, apply. If you're James if you're, Cameron, apply. Apply. Let us know. Maybe, James, you want to hit up some more production design. Go back to your roots. Oh, he, he was also, first of all, doing the sound for Night Beast. Okay. Do you remember yeah. he did the, yeah, the did synthesizer the synth- <laughs> track? So, again, if you're a filmmaker, you can see how he dabbled in all those different fields before getting to the writing and the directing part. So for our next episode, sorry. Next episode is Soylent Green. Ooh. It's a film that I think we've ah, all heard the phrase. Yes. <laughs> but I've never seen the film. Have you not? Oh, my no. goodness. Wow. All so, right. You're in for a treat. So uh, it's, it's it's one of these. It's considered a classic, I think. Yeah, it, it is a classic. It has to be because it is so heavily referenced. Yes. Everyone knows the phrase. I won't say it just in case you don't know the phrase. <laughs> Soil and Green, I believe it's available on Netflix. Okay. Uh, right. You can also, obviously, being a, a, an old classic, it's going to be on anywhere where you can 
rent or buy or yeah, you you'll be able to get your iTunes, hands on this one. Yeah. Google Play, yeah. Amazon Prime. It's on Netflix, I believe, yes. Yeah, you'll be able to get your hands on this one. It's not a problem. Um, and go watch the YouTube trailer of this because um, it's especially the classic version. I'm sure there's probably versions, but if you watch the original trailer, it is freaking hilarious because it's just like, what is Soylent Green? What is Soylent Green? What is? <laughs> it's a, And in fact, when I think about it now, it's what the Wachowskis did with The Matrix. They were like, Matrix. what is The Matrix? What is The Matrix? No one can tell and you. No one can tell you until is. you watch The Matrix. And that was the same with Soylent Green. It is a twisted tale, this one, based on a great novel. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to talking about it. I can't believe you haven't seen it. No, oh, well, I haven't. I, we well, will it's because I, because I know the catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I go, oh, well, I know, you know, what is Soil and Green? Well, I know. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking I really need to see how that story is told because it mm. obviously had such a strong influence it on does. Yeah. popular yeah. culture. Yeah, okay, and I can talk about all sorts of things, even what we just talked about today. Protesting is involved in the film. So, anyway... Let's get going for that next time on Space Brains. See ya. Bye. Bye.